Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light. Go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, join today. Uh, Brad Leone's here. Explain what's in front of you, Brad. Yeah, so... <laughs> Brought a little bluefin tuna from back east. A buddy of mine, Vinny, bought uh, he he caught it out in the canyon. His name was Vinny. His name's Vinny. Yeah, Vinny Deletta. Good guy, good fishing buddy of mine, uh-huh. hunting buddy of mine, and uh, just really dialed in on the salt on the salt water. And I told him I was coming out here, and uh, you know he he has a little walking and stuff that he had one of these you know, bluefin hanging in there, a smaller one, you know, like seventy pounds or something. But at times, that's the most expensive fish in the world. Oh yeah, yeah. So he they also catch some pretty big ones, you know, some some giant ones, six seven hundred pounders. That uh, you know, going. He's got a commercial license, and they'll head out. There. I'm pretty sure they just go to Japan. Don't they go? Like you can catch a bluefin. You don't really know when you catch it if you got gold or not. Uh, oh, you and mean they as take far a as... little. They, don't they take like a little core sample? Yeah, yeah. Out yeah. of the fish, we've seen it on the on the show, right? Was and them uh, wicked, uh, wicked, wicked tuna, right? They <laughs> they bring it to the dock, and they have it's almost like yeah, it's almost like what you'd see like. Like an old Italian guy, like taking a core of Parmesan cheese with, like just like this little cylinder, hollowed. I'm sure it has a name. It's probably from the cheese world. But they would go in there and they would take a a, a core sample, like you would have of the earth, uh, uh, and see the quality of the meat, the the marbleization of the fat, and and then they they declare it like this fish is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah, or this I, fish is worth two hundred bucks. I think it's just by pound. So it's like either it's like this is a ten dollar or a sixteen dollar fish or whatever per pound, and you know, and is that good stuff laid out in front of you? or Don't you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not Mister Bluefin, but uh, it's certainly good eating fish. Um, you know, it was just caught a few days ago, 
and uh, I froze it to bring it out here. A slab too. Yeah, man. good old loin there. I wish we could have brought the belly, but old Vinny wasn't wasn't feeling that. <laughs> Vinny, yeah, Vinny, so Vinny's, Vinny's a tight ass. No, yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> I don't want to say no, no. Vinny's a gentleman. Oh, he was a tight ass. He wouldn't have given you anything. It's very true. Would you just real quick rank him like scale of one to ten amongst your other good friends? Like where is he lying? Yeah, oh. no, Vinny's up there, man. Okay. You know, Vinny, Vinny's, Vinny's, you don't want to put a number to it though. <laughs> It's a dangerous game, you know, in the world of friends. I haven't known him long enough to give him a 10, but he's, he's cat eight, cat nine. Nice. Uh, well, uh, we're going to get into ranking because that's why Chester's sitting here right now because <laughs> just some brutal ranking Chester's doing while we were fishing, which I thought was like very untoward. He was a little harsh on you, Steve. Untoward. I'm just going to say that. Has anybody ever said that word on this show? Untoward? Am I using it right? Yeah. Nope. Don't have, don't, don't have the slightest. Uh, Chester's not I'm not even sure it. what it means, but it felt untoward <laughs> like, when I struggle for a word to describe it. But uh, while we got you, Brad, and then we'll do, introduce some other folks. Um, talk about what, like, uh, who you are. Yeah, so name's Brad Leone. Uh, grew up in northern New Jersey, and I got a, a, a YouTube show with, uh, with Bon Appetit magazine, a publication out of New York where we do a, it's a, The show's called It's Alive. And uh, I started off doing a lot of fermentation and in-kitchen projects. And then really, you know, like... For me, I never really liked just... Oh, that, that's the It's Alive. That, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It started with, with the bubble. <laughs> Phil probably knew about that a long time ago. Yeah. He Phil, probably caught that a long Phil time ago. Phil gets it. Yeah. And, uh, you Quick know, it started with, brain. like, you know, the, the gut health and microbiology and just old world applications of food, you know? It's like pre-refrigeration, you know, pre-FDA and all the... The BS they bring to the table, hmm. um, you just, know. Just, just uh, you're just gonna come and trash a whole oh, federal, I'm federal done agency. The, I'm done with the FDA. They can come at me. I don't care. And you know, and I get it. I get it. It's a blanket. Send a hitman out. I've always felt, and maybe this is that's fine. Bring it. And I probably shoot better. And um, and you know, and like it, I, I'm maybe it's the narcissism in me, but like I've never felt like this is horrible. I was like a, I fell under the umbrella of blanketed, blanketed regulation. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, no turning on red at this stop sign. Well, that's just kind of for everybody else. Like, yeah. like you know, I'm squared away. I, I know how to do this. Yeah. And um, I kind of feel that way with food. You know, those regula- <laughs> like those regulations are, they're probably smart. And for the general population, I'm sure it is with good intention. You know, we don't want it. But at the same time, I disagree with a lot of it. You know, yeah. it's just, it's kind of, um, it's just that blanketed security of just like, oh, you got to put your whatever in the fridge as soon as you pick it from the and it's just really they've been doing this for thousands hundreds of thousands of years yeah. you know and the idea of getting back to you know the fermentation the idea of controlled rot as a food and as really like the base of umami and how like our bodies are just kind of designed to like we i feel like we need them you need like our bodies need that our gut biome and our like more than we really kind of modern society, especially in America, allow it, you know, like everything's so like, buy it now, buy it super fresh, keep it in the fridge. You know, if it got, if it gets a little mold, it's going to kill you and your whole family. And it's just not really the case for the, I mean, not to belittle real, real food health things, you know, like there's major, you know, foodborne illnesses are a very serious thing and not yeah. to underplay that, but just like things like raw fish or, or salted meat, you know, there's a couple guidelines that if you stay within Seems like people have been getting away with it for a long time, you know. What's your um, professional food background? Like, you've done, like, commercial work and all that, commercial kitchen stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, the way it all started was I just really liked eating, you know. And, like, my mom and my dad, they were both good cooks. Never really had good ingredients other than what we bought. Um, I mean, other than what we grew. Speaking of eating, I want you to act like you're eating that mic. Just right in it. Usually I get like loud. You're I talk too much. I talk too loud. on an ice cream cone. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> and, uh... 
Yeah, so like other than what my parents would grow, we always had like a nice garden, good tomatoes, like zucchinis, like so many zucchinis. We had a like a fond memory growing up is like my dad would walk around to the neighborhood back when community mattered, you know, and um, and just give away all of our like bumper crop. You know, if we just had like a, you know, a radio flyer full of zucchini and eggplant, <laughs> you know, like, come on, Brad, we're going up to Donna and Mike's and, and you know, the, the Mugnos and we're just going to start giving away all the produce. And so like we cooked with that and then my dad, well, he's he's just great, man. He got me into like hunting and fishing, and and being in New Jersey, it's not something people really think of. You know, like oh, you're from New Jersey. No, it's one of the lowest participation states. Is it really? I think California, and New Jersey are sub one percent. And it's probably got more deer yeah. than most states. You know, like it's a problem. Hence, hence the low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like just growing up, and they the- all complain about the damn deer. Oh yeah, man. And they always complain about the turkeys. Just living in your. People I'll tell you one surefire huh? way to get rid of turkeys. What's that? You go hunting for them. Yeah. Well, they're tricky little dino chickens. No, but then people downtown are like in, the, in these suburban areas, they're like, they live in fear of the turkeys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I well, couldn't get, get in my car because a turkey was gobbling. People get freaked out from nature, you know? And yeah. uh, and there's a lot of them. New Jersey, like there is, there's a lot of deer, a lot of turkeys. Where I grew up in northern New Jersey, ton of black bears. And, uh, you know, to answer your question back on the call, how to get into I don't want a dog on New Jersey. No. Oh, no, man. Like, a lot of coyotes. Uh, there's there's big cats there too, you know. The state doesn't really uh, recognize it, but oh, they're there. And uh, oh, man, no, yeah, I'm talking about mountain lions. Mountain lions. Okay, well, I'm gonna leave that one hanging. Yeah, we can come back to that. But yeah, so you know, growing up in New Jersey, I was luckily my dad. You know, he's like the most un-New Jersey guy. Like we would go gigging for frogs and go, you know, catch snapping turtles and make soup. And then it got me in. He didn't he didn't really like freshwater fishing too much. Uh, he didn't really care for like the small lines and and like. Tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny knots and shit. It know? wasn't the small fish that turned them off. The it was small the small fish. lines. Yeah, you ain't eating nothing out of the lake. Everything tastes like mud kind of deal, you know? Except Oh, for- if, yeah. I mean, if you were, have ocean in front of you and fresh water behind you, I would have a pretty difficult time. Ah, but you know, I mean, the, you're from Michigan, right? You could, there's something peaceful about the fresh Oh, listen, water. I, I it's great. I love it. I'm saying yeah. in that environment where you have that, yeah. right? And then fresh, it would just, I, I would, probably be more ocean focused for sure and that was my dad i mean you know he he was a meat hey i, I want to catch shit i can eat you know and like that was his thing i'm gonna spend a hundred dollars i want to come home with two hundred dollars worth of fish you know otherwise yeah. you know he saved up you know he was a mailman he would save up to go fishing you know he didn't have a boat we'd go out on party boats or or a friend's boat you know that he had or something um but being you know being exposed to that world uh and saltwater just being so much more aggressive and fast you know it's just a different different beast um Certainly wasn't getting me into fly fishing. I picked that up in the past two, two, three years, just kind of self-taught with some buddies. Um, but keep being, being exposed to hunting, fishing, going out and catching, you know, bluefish and sea robins and striped bass and, you know, mostly just kind of inshore stuff, blue claw crabs. I mean, that Do you was cook like, those sea robins up? Oh, one of my favorites. Really? Such an underrated Man, fish. Man, they are dude. a maligned fish. Dude, a dinosaur, right? Looks like it belongs like somewhere down in a coral reef or something. Yeah, right? he's got... I don't know, man. Like a 12-inch fish, he's got uh, pectoral fins look like dinner plates. Yeah, and they're beautiful, right? They, I mean, things like a, a piece of art, like the wings. What do you it, do with those? What, uh, what do you do with them? How do you prepare them? Oh, they're great. So it's kind of just like... Man, people hate those fish. People hate them, and they're ugly, and they got these heads on them, like a diet, like grunt at you and shit, and they got these big old wings for pectoral fins. Uh, but the tail... You know, we were talking about this yesterday, Callahan. I think it was with you. Uh, where it's like, oh, some of these fish, you gotta, you gotta cut the tail off. You gotta soak it in milk for two days. Otherwise, <laughs> it's like inedible. And it's just not, it's just not the case. You know, like, like same thing with any fish. As soon as I, as soon as I catch it, if I plan to, you know, consume it or kill it, 
I kill it instantly, bleed it out the same way I would with your trophy fish, you know, like I'm just completely over the whole junk fish thing. It's only junk if you treat it like junk, you know what I mean? And the robins or the sea robins, you know, you cut the tail off and uh, from there, it's just like. Comment. Yeah. You do or don't cut the tail off? You do. So that's so, okay. Sorry. So like, like any fish, as soon as you kill it, bleed it out, get it on ice. But why are you getting rid of his tail? That's the part you eat. So you cut it off to eat it. To yeah. Prepare the tail. You ditch the head. You don't mean it's tail. Yeah. Like it's body. Oh. Not like it's little, like, you know, not the little Not fin. the caudal fin. Yeah. Not the fin, but like the, it's body. It's all tail. Because you, you yeah. To understand why he's saying tail, you'd have to wander over to your computer and look up what the hell sea yeah, robin looks like. Yeah, look up sea robin. And they're amazing. So I still don't like what you're saying. Oh, we got, calling it a tail. You got to come out and eat and cook it with us. No, then. no, no. Listen, I'm all for eating them. Yeah. Just saying, if you said cut its tail off, because here's here's what I, here's where my head's going. My uh, kind of like halibut mm-hmm. shrimp and crab mentor. Mm-hmm. He was a commercial halibut fisherman. All right. And he would bleed his halibut, and somehow he thought that they had like a pressure lock in them. <laughs> Valve. So he would <laughs> cut the gill. Yep. And then he would go and cut the tail. Oh, like open the circuit. What's that called on a fish? The pet is it the pedicle? The pedicle. The pedicle, like the base, the thin part, the oh, base of the tail. Right. He'd cut there as though he had to do like a pressure release thing. Instead of like a full loop, he would open the circuit. Yeah, up, so that the blood, the blood like out. somehow there's like a vacuum sort of quality in the fish. Yeah. And you'd cut its gill, but then to allow the blood to like come out. You had to like release the vacuum by cutting it back by its tail. We had a lot of laughs about this. Sure. But when you're talking about cutting the tail, that's what I thought you were talking about. I thought you'd been hanging out with him. No, it sounds like I should. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for I mean, it's kind of like, like, what would you call a monkfish? Like the part that you eat of a monkfish. The monkfish tail. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? Yeah. I think. That, so it's basically just like okay. a what lot of What part do you eat on a snake? You would eat the... They don't have. You call that the tail? Snake don't have parts. <laughs> snakes are just snakes. No, but like, yeah. So this fish is just like a lot of head, fins. I'm looking at some. Yeah, a lot of head, fins, and then it's just like oh, cringe show me. a big meaty tail. And the tail, or sure, the body we can call it. So you gut it, cut the head off, and then it's just like a big, you know, it's got the big, it's got a spine bone, a spine bone going through it, and then it's just got a nice white fleshed kind of firm meaty body tail kind of like a, a blowfish you ever have like a you know the, the blowfish where it's just like the, the bone through the middle and just like amazing meat around it yeah i'm ready to move on but i'm just saying i would, <laughs> I would say this next time you're on a podcast yeah you talking see. about c robbins i'd be like and then you cut the body off okay we cut the body <laughs> off and you eat them they're great uh, they're great in stews or soups okay. or even just pan fry is it good it is good just to fry it oh yeah it's sweet as candy why is it um why does it have a bad reputation uh, kind of like bluegills or or whitefish that we were fishing for, you know? mountain whitefish. Yeah, mountain whitefish. Yeah. You know, there's just an abundance of them, and they're usually, you know, you're, it's when you're going for black sea bass or you're going for flounder. It's not what people are targeting. So it's more like the it's like oh oh I got that's a, not yeah, yeah that's I got a, a fluke and it comes up. You're like oh, God, son of a bitch! It's another sea robin, a peduncle, peduncle, not pedicle, peduncle, pedicle. The definition is eerily similar. Um, yeah. the caudal. Peduncle. That sounds right. Which yeah. is basically I'm your, reading here. your fish handle. Is okay. the narrow region of a fish's body <laughs> anterior to the caudal fin. You know what? Yeah. I think they're illegal now, but maybe once upon a time they weren't. You ever see those uh, tail zippers for land and fish? Tail zippers? My old man had one and they would make their own. <laughs> like it was a 
rod with a cable snare on the end of it. Oh, a little slip cable? Dude, and you went, instead of like landing that in the fish, zip, put that, pull it tight. But here's the thing. If you saw a salmon like in a river hiding under a log, whatever, just and you see ass. his tail sticking out, you could just put that thing down in there and jack him right up on the bank. Man. I like it. Yeah. It's kind of like how and they I think t- that they became, a, you know what? Chester's nodding knowingly. Yeah, I've seen them. I haven't used them, but. Deadly apparatus. Yeah. Still common for paddlefish anglers. Oh, it is. see them use them. I, I don't know that it's legal. Really? Uh, but I still see them use them a lot. I saw I saw people jack a lot of fish up out of a river that weren't, nothing to do with a hook. Right. Because you could come in behind it when he's holding the current, and just in one fluid motion, that fish is up on the bank. Whoa, I'd be surprised if it was illegal. It doesn't seem like it's no, like it's super. No, it was, I think that there was, it was or became or, I don't know, should be. Some bandit. Could, you think it should be illegal? Well, be... I don't want to just come in and say it should be. I don't think you should be going. But you spearfish, Steve. Listen, I, when I say that, I mean this. <laughs> Based on traditional use practices and things, I could see where an agency, a state agency, based on their management objectives, would say right. that this is a piece of equipment that is just too likely to be misused in our particular thing, in our particular situation, is too likely to be misused. Meaning, let's say you're walking down the creek with a pitchfork, mm. okay, in Michigan, and here As comes a game, do. and here comes a game warden, and he's like, "What's up with the pitchfork?" And you're like, "Oh, I'm thinking, thinking about making a garden out here in the national forest." Um, he's probably gonna be like, "I think you're thinking about pitchforking some fish out of the river." Illegal. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd have never known. You can't spew. Yeah. But you could. You can't could go fork, in. Can't pitchfork salmon out of the river. But could you dive with your? You know what's that? Um, no. Like the Hawaiian sling. No. No. Hard no. Hard no. Depend. Not not on a game fish. Okay. Not on a sport fish. Not on a sport fish. All right. Fair enough. Joined also by Spencer Newharth. Spencer, we're going to talk about something that has deep relevance to you. Okay. As a rock picker. We're going to talk mm. about, um, or rock, sorry, rock hound. Mm-hmm. That's better. What's We're a rock gonna, hound? Oh, well, a rock picker. Rock picker. <laughs> Get ready to live, Brad. <laughs> a, rock, <laughs> a rock picker, if you ask Doug Duran, a rock picker is a guy that you, a kid that you send out into the field, an agricultural field, to gather up all the rocks and throw them out of the field. All right. So you don't bust your hay teeth on them, yeah? Because you don't want to. It's like the rock ain't growing anything, sure. And then it's it's in the way of uh, it's in the it's, agriculture, yeah. And so Hard picking rocks is like what you do when you get in trouble, yeah. And you can make, <laughs> and make, they're like, you're gonna pick rocks, and you make a stone wall, right? Now, sure. uh, if you asked our beloved Tracy Crane mm. what rock picking meant, she would think it meant walking around out in the field picking rocks, so then you could make a chimney out of it. Oh, that's fun. Which she did. Beautiful. Different types of rock pickers. She over, I'm a rock picker. She overpicked. She, <laughs> she over-harvested. That's okay. Wound up with pallets full of damn rocks. Good money in that. Uh, or you could be a rock hound. I'm a is, rock hound. Which is when you walk around trying to pick up uh, semi-precious gemstones. Yeah, I see. Mine aren't even valuable. I just find, like, everywhere I go, I already, you know, I've been here for three days. I've got two rocks already. Really? Yeah, everywhere I go, I bring home a rock. I bring them home got? to my kids. I don't know what they are. I just find ones that got like unique characteristics. It's pretty. Something yeah. that kind of like captures time. You know, like I love a rock that has like a really weird, say you find like an orange or a red rock or something, mm-hmm. and it has like a really weird or just a, a very, like a one white like sediment line. Like something happened. Yeah. A million, like some shit went down and this this is capturing it. I dig that. I would give it, them to my kids. <laughs> would it mean less to you if I gave you a rock or do you need to find it yourself? I would take a rock gift. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, oh, I, yeah. I'll set you up. 
All right, thanks, man. Uh, reason that what we're going to talk about has relevance to Spencer is he, as a rock hound, the rock he likes to target is a rock that's associated with riparian areas. Excuse me? River, the edges of rivers. Okay. The edges of rivers and streams. And so he's walking along and takes advantage of stream access law. <laughs> yeah. Which allows a person to go down a river corridor um, and maybe not even be in the water, but be in below the average high water mark. Okay. And it allows you to, it's what allows you to take your canoe down a river or walk down a river. Sure. And he takes advantage of that to go rock hunting. I was just explaining to somebody last week that we are currently in the rock hunting pre-rut for uh, the Yellowstone because because <laughs> water's the coming river, down. The river peaked and it's coming down, but it's not all the way down. Um, so there's there's some like good rocks to be found, some good areas that that have fresh rocks. But uh, we're in the pre-rut stage. Mm-hmm. Rut will probably be a week or two from now. This is fascinating, by the way. What and kind it, of rocks are you finding? Well, yeah, my oh, question for him is this: How many rocks do you need? Well, well, the but, the one yeah. still out there. That's right. That's right. Two hundred incher. I'm thinking of a Tracy Crane move. Where uh, oh, you make a whole chimney out of those rocks. Yeah, that's um, An agate chimney. Yeah, I don't have any real plans, but sure. Yeah, you know, my grandma, her house and out outside of Lockwood, Montana, on Old Harden Road, the the chimney is constructed with three chunks of a petrified tree. Whoa. That um, are you know, as, as they're 30 inches across wow, and three feet long each section. That's awesome. That's yep. pretty cool. Just completely mineralized. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it's pretty darn cool. It's no. probably not for everybody, but it's pretty, <laughs> pretty darn cool. I wouldn't mind finding something like that. She used to climb up that chimney in, you know, in, it's all interior chimney. So it's all like living room 360 around it. Yeah. But she used to climb up that thing and plant, uh, orchids in the cracks in the rocks. Really? And then Whoa. have to occasionally climb back up there and mist them down. No kidding. Legend. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Wow. What was the name of the road she lived on? Hardened. Old Hardened. Good God. Road. Not hardened like it got hard. Right. Oh, oh. Oh, hardened like the name. Yeah, yeah like the town. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, Spencer. Mm-hmm. The rock Spencer likes. Yep. And I've found more than a few, I'll point out. <laughs> I believe it forms like this. I look down on occasion. <laughs> I believe it forms like this. A volcano erupts, engulfs a tree, hardens around the tree, but the tree burns away, leaving a cavity. Water precipitates through that and, or no, water comes through that and the particulate matter, whatever, in the water that is left behind through this process turns into an agate. You got it. Is that right? Yeah. And and uh, if the process like doesn't finish, you get petrified wood. And if it like completes, you get a Montana moss agate. And you'll find some rocks that are both. They were like caught in purgatory between agate and petrified wood. Those hmm. are those are some specialist pieces. That's find. fascinating. Yeah. I used to know a guy named Ray the Rock Man Baker. And he had he was a professional agate hunter. All right. He had a five-gallon bucket full of mammoth teeth. Whoa. Because bycatch. And he would pile up these agates, and then if he had a good feeling about one, and Spencer's going to get into this too, <laughs> if he had a good feeling about one, he would cut it with a bandsaw, right? Mm-hmm. And then, he, and then you'd be like, holy cow, like, here's a gem-grade. Tell us the story. A gem-grade agate. 
What's that? It tells the story once you cut it. No, you don't uh, want it all cracked up. Inside. Yeah, you, you're just like exposing what might be a, a cooler okay. uh, aesthetic on the inside. Okay, gotcha, the outside. gotcha. Have yeah. you taken the cutting yours in half yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably caught, I don't know, 20 rocks or so. Um, we've made like bookends with them. Really? Yeah. What, do you got a wet saw or something? Yeah, it's a, it's a tile saw. Tile saw, So yeah. the same thing you'd use if you were going to like... Uh, Put a backsplash on your your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Just salt. less productive. Do you feel like you might? <laughs> do you feel like you? Uh, is it kind of in your mind that you're going to craft me up a uh, book, some bookends or something? <laughs> is it now? Yes, that's on your mind. <laughs> yep. Like exactly. you're saying, to your wife, like you're laying in bed at night. You're yep. like, you know what I might do? Mm-hmm. That's cool. I just haven't found the right uh, Steve Rock yet. I look so. forward to seeing pre-rut. Maybe the time. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe. coming. It's coming, yeah. man. What's nice about the Yellowstone too is that it's cold water. And so those rocks aren't growing a bunch of algae as that water comes down, and so you get you get a you get a better look at what that rock is. God, sure. man. You got trail cams out for those rocks? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Chester Chester who used to guide on the Yellowstone said that every lunch break with clients they would look for rocks. Yeah, pass the time and and just to get away from the folks if you didn't really jive to get away with from your clients. Is that what you were doing yesterday? I'd, no, uh, no, we should have no, enjoyed himself. Um, but we should have went rock hounding. I was going to yeah. say that. But yeah, we, if you want to find get some rocks, just talk to a few fishing guides and you'd be set for life. Just most of the time at lunch, clients are sitting there eating lunch and fishing guides off, either picking rocks or smoking something in the bushes. Both sound great. <laughs> smoking, <laughs> smoking fish? No. <laughs> uh, Chester, uh, we found out you got a new nickname now, Uncle Chesty. Uncle Chesty, there you go. <laughs> from rowing that boat, what it does to a man's pectoral muscles. Uh, you were looking good, Uncle Chesty, on that boat, right? All I never really up. thought about it, but if you do that every damn oh, day. Yeah. I'm getting a little soft. I imagine, now that you quit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, if every day you said you had to spend, like, six hours on a rowing machine, six days a week. Yeah, I had. You get pretty chesty. I had a pretty good triangle going, you know, from my <laughs> shoulders down to the waist. And oh, because I was massaging Chester as he rode, acting like I was massaging him. But actually, I was like, "Holy shit!" Muscly, he wasn't acting. Yeah, wow. muscly little shoulders wow. from rowing that boat all over the damn place. Yeah, that was nice. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, you massage. thought I was massaging. I was more like probing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a little shoulder probe. I was probe. like, because it just it occurred to me all of a sudden what that would do to a fella. Yeah, that much rowing. Yep. That's not a workplace environment you get just anywhere, Brad. <laughs> no, sir. You know, we're on a hell of a boat. I'll tell you that. It's a lot of trust. So, uh, speaking of, we were talking about sea robins. Speaking of trash fish, and we'll, we'll return to this in a minute after we talk about a few things. Um, we were fishing, we were out targeting mount, the mountain whitefish. And Chester uh, was taking us down a stretch of river he knows real well because he guided it professionally for years and has floated it enough times where he's like, up ahead, you'll notice a rock, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, gave us a rating. <laughs> oh, but I want. Can you explain your old nickname? How you became to be not Chester the Investor, but Chester the Tester. Sure. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> I I have too many. I don't know. Not too many nicknames, but a lot of them. When I was a young kid, um, <laughs> I would sit on the table of my parents' kitchen, and. I little I'm going back here actually. My my dad grew mushrooms for a living in Wisconsin. White button uh shiitake, portabella. Um and he sold that business to his brothers and started pickling the mushrooms. 
and I would sit on that table. So he sold. I know this, but I just want you to explain this better. He, he sold it, but then he sold to his brother, but then became a client of his brother. Correct. It, yes. They for, weren't business partners in pickling. We're not business partners <laughs> in pickling. He, they did use their mushrooms for a while, but um, they stopped using them not because of bad blood or anything, because they didn't grow. Because of bad mushrooms. They they harvested them too late. You want really small white oh. button mushrooms for when you're pickling. And he was pursuing a different. Just a smaller white oh, button. Like that Italian I, marinated pickled. I, I he was growing for a non-pickling market. Agaragus yep. bisporus. That's yeah. the white button. And um, anyways, they would test all these recipes in the kitchen. They were originally going to do like some uh, like a jam company, and then they started pickling the mushrooms. And I would sit on that table as a little kid and pop these pickled mushrooms in my mouth, and I really came... I really liked the classic sweet, which is one of their top sellers now. <laughs> so I love, it. I love it. I was deemed the Chester the Tester yeah. back then. It's incredible. So, yeah. But I got to send some pickled mushrooms to you, Yeah, bro. please do, man. I love a good pickle. Are they like a marinated kind of pickledy mushroom? Or um, just straight up pickled? They're, they do different ones. Some classic sweet, which is just, you know, sugar, vinegar. Um, and then they do some bergamo. Um, spice ones. Um, tri- yeah, sounds great. Yeah. You know what Chester's family produces as well? No. <laughs> Is you can buy um, cocktail sets. Oh, like uh, like little like bitters and stuff. Oh, yeah, but it's all this like the old pickled stuff and this and that. And so oh, you get a box, like a gift box, and it comes and it's like everything you need to make crazy ass cocktails oh, for the sure. holiday. Yeah. Can yeah. I throw a plug in for him? Oh, please, yeah. I was for- getting there. Forest Floor Foods. Forest of, Floor Foods. Out of nice. Eden, Wisconsin. Good name. So you could get like a like a Manhattan kit. No, an old what no, sorry, an old fashioned kit. Wisconsin old fashioned, yeah. Sugar cubes, pickled this, pickled that, candied this, pickled Whoa. that. All in a box. Oh, family and entrepreneurs over there, Chester. Yeah. Chester the Tester. One of the reasons you got a lot of nicknames is because a lot of shit rhymes with Chester. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. <laughs> And you're likable, you know, like, it's like, I feel like that's like a compliment. Like no one gives nicknames to people that they don't like really, at least in person. Never had a nickname. No one gives me a nickname either, Steve. So that, well, yeah, because like the best you can do is Brad the dad. Yeah. I blame my parents. My name sucks. Steve, like. Barbless Brad. Barbless Brad. That's right. It's the first one ever. I think I might even. There's no good rhymes for Steve. It's all right. You got to make it longer. It's like Steve Arino. Yeah. You can do that. But that's yeah. not fun. No. Unless you shorten it to Reno. I invented two <laughs> fight moves called the Steve Reno. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I hope I never see them. No, you don't want to see them. <laughs> one involves your teeth. Oh, God. And one involves your gonads. Yeah, huh? <laughs> um, I put that together. Chester, uh, you gave us a rating on the boat. Yes. That's what I'd like to explore. That's why I've invited I, you here today. I don't know how we ever came to that because I don't give ratings. So maybe I wasn't very good at the ratings, but my thought process when you guys were fishing is 10 is 10 is as good as you can get. Like you can't get much, you can't get any better than 10, right? Would, um, would you be a 10? No. Oh. It does it. Well, when he went to rate me, he goes, and I'm going to do how he did it. You hurt his feelings, Chester. He goes, Seven, <laughs> like as though, <laughs> as though he's gonna come in at like a seven nine, right? Seven, 
just seven. <laughs> so he's like, he's so he's being for so precise. He's gonna like give me like a decimal, right? But then like thinks about it and changes his mind. Was that that was total bullshit? It ruined my whole day. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Seven. And he's seven. weighing all the subcategories seven. to come to his conclusion. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I feel so like he's actually thinking about it and rates me. You at fishing mountain whitefish at a seven, and then turns around and gives Brad like not much worse than me. I did have a lot. Of he was tangled. He us, missed yeah. half the day being tangled up. So. Maybe not half the day. Maybe one one tenth. All right, a couple good primo spots, but Chester was crowding the water anyway. I'm sure there's a lot of subcategories in there, and he's doing the tallies, and perhaps the bird nests like don't rank as uh, significantly as oh. let's say just a good attitude. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Yeah, he's like, no, it's a it's a hit, but it's not a big hit to bird nest. So what yeah. was Brad's rating? Like a six nine or something like that. Uh, it was I think it was it was like six five. I took it with six, a smile. I thought it was five. great. You felt hyped up after that. But the difference between a six five and seven, like it's not much. It's big. No, it's big. In my mind it's big. <laughs> it's big, Steve. In your mind it's not, but if you were to like pop into my mind, you'd probably be like, Oh, yeah, I'm happy with the seven right now. Well, I did two things. At first, I retaliated. And that's the one that rate Chester as a rower. <laughs> and then I gave him a super low rating as a rower. Just to, just to hurt his feelings. Later in the day, I turned around and thought I would demonstrate generosity. And I rated him as a 10. And left it at that. Which of those two approaches of mine was more effective, Chester? Hurting you or demonstrating to you how to be generous? Um. Probably hurting me a little bit. You oh, know? So that stung. Yeah. No, I'm, it actually didn't at all. I remember I, when you when you did the ten rating, I bumped you up to seven point two five. Okay. <laughs> so what could they improve on? Yeah. I mean, we all can improve on stuff, right? That's right, Chester. Like, <laughs> so like I could go into it, but just we everything, right? Like we can all get better at casting. We can all get better at reading the water we can all get better at setting the hook um, let's get one specific thing that uh, brad can take home mm-hmm. brad's casting was pretty darn good for not doing it much um just being a little more patient on the back cast yeah letting that rod do the work less less of you know human force just that's what the fly rod is like a spring right so if you're patient on that cast and let that line roll out all the way behind you before you bring it forward. So you feel it give you a little tug. A little tug back. So I wasn't letting it spool load up all the way. I was coming back a little premature. And I think, yeah, and I think that was because, like, it's exciting when you're out there. You want to, like, get it back in the water. And yeah. Maybe maybe that's not true. Especially but over- with that bank flying past you. Yeah. Him, and we were moving. Him crowding the water. Him crowding the primo whitefish water. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just joshing. You boat, you put the boat over some whitefish holes. Here's the thing: it's like <laughs> yeah. here's Chester's problem, and I identified it for him. <laughs> Chester <laughs> has was for a long time was a trout guide, okay, and he was money focused, <laughs> and he knew that if he took a client out and the client catches a big trout, Chester gets a big tip, and that worked its way deep into his psyche, okay. So even if you say to Chester, we're fishing whitefish, something deep in his like reptilian brain, want, he, he can't help himself but position that boat for trout. I got a little reading. And a, and, and a lot of times, just couldn't help himself. And you'd, you'd know that that whitefish is laying like where he's going to lay. 
and that's kind of like under the gunnel. <laughs> because he wants you up where those where he thinks those big browns are lurking. What I did there was I could tell Brad had a little itch to catch some a few trout, and I could tell Steve really just wanted to catch whitefish. So I tried to play this little happy medium game away from the bank. I think we did all right. Yeah. Sometimes there's a big difference in the water between the back of the boat and the front of the boat too. Mm. So you can definitely, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Chester, real quick, uh, after you guided a fisherman for how long? Since uh, 2012. What? Um, I think somewhere right around in there. What's the biggest, like just in, in very general terms, what is the biggest uh, mistake or flaw you, you come to see with anglers? Like if you could give one piece of universal advice to fishermen, it would be what? This is going to sound like, yeah, well, of course, but it's so true. It's spend your time with your bait, your flies or whatever in the water because a lot of people get out there, they're messing around with their rods, they're trying to get to the spot. And if you actually think about it, their lines were only in the water for an hour and a half out of a six-hour day because they spend so much time messing around. So having your stuff dialed and ready to go is key because – You'll just have it in the water Lines in front in the of the water. fish's face. Like the less false casting when you're fly fishing, the better. Just pick it up, get it in there, and try and keep it in there as long as you can. And it just ups your odds like you wouldn't believe. I'll tell you a story about that, about lines in the water, is when we, Cal and I were fishing in Hawaii this year, we were doing something pretty close to the harbor. Um. And just got like end of the day, just gonna zip into the harbor, be done for the day. Set that line back, didn't you? Wahoo. On the way in? Like just not like, you know what I mean? Just like an afterthought almost. Eh, throw a line out. Ain't gonna catch anything in the boat. Yeah. Boom. That was in you said Hawaii, right? Yeah. yeah that was that was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happened so fast that the first thing Everybody that came to the my reel brain broke. was like, ah, I screwed up the reel. <laughs> like, how did I do that? That's amazing. No, yeah, it's great, man. It was great. And that's like a significant thing. You know, like fish. the click reels? Like, yeah. Click it. Oh, the first thing I thought was I thought he somehow broke something. Right. Because, like, there's no other way to explain why that reel's going. Yeah. You know? And you guys landed that fish? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, right out in front of the marina. Well, yeah, Chester, you had some of that fish last night. It was delicious. Yeah. And, Chester, in your defense, bud, you, you got us on the fish, man. We went out there to catch a lot of white fish, and we did. And at some point, we even said, hey, listen, we don't need to catch anymore. Let's try. Let's, we switched over, tried to catch a couple couple trout, which we did. So if I had to rate you, because I don't think I did yesterday, and I don't have a lot of experience, that was my first river fly fishing uh, drift. But 10 being this like thing that, you know, this unicorn that maybe doesn't exist, I'd, I'd throw you in there, you know, I'd give you a good eight too. Thank you. Oh, in general yeah. angling, I've fished a lot of, uh, like a lot of circumstances. I would put Chester higher. Yeah. Huh? Just general. Cat nine. Angling, very high. Wow, yeah, I don't want to put a number to it. <laughs> Picked a hell of a time to quit guiding, it, it was a blast, though. I mean, having having bobbers go down and catching whitefish, like a lot of people do not like that for some odd reason. They don't like catching whitefish, but, man, it's fun just putting oh, fish dude, in the boat. Fun. And I'm glad you brought that up, Chester, because it kind of reminded me uh, of something a friend of mine told me, uh, and it just really it resonates. You know, it was like, 
that first fish, you when that bobber goes down, and before the client or the person fishing, you know, knows, they still hoping it's this big brown trout or rainbow. And then when this white fish comes up, you know, how many times you hear like, oh, you know, like a little disappointment. But as you were fighting it, you you had this grin on ear to ear, like you were a kid, you know, catching your first fish. And I just hate that when it's like you get disappointed when it's not like the, the Instagram picture fish that you wanted, you know, and, and the white fish. I mean, that was just, they don't come, they weren't jumping out of the water doing these crazy aerials, but they were a ton of fun to catch. And then we ended up cooking a bunch of them and they were just phenomenal. I just give me white fish any day. It was so much better than I thought they were going to be. My favorite thing about that kind of fishing is, um, and we're like, we're drifting down a river in a drift boat, fishing nymphs under the water with a float bobber. And, you know, inevitably you hook some bottom, you hook logs, you hit some rocks. Yeah. But it's like when you tighten up on a hit and you feel the resistance, but you also realize that it moved. Right. In a familiar way. Sure. A good head tug. That's a that like that moment is what I like. Oh, it's the best. When it's you like know it's, it's a fish. there, but then it's like there's a, it, it right. does something. Yeah. And you're like, ah ha. Doesn't get old. Another uh, oh, go ahead. Another former fishing guide that we work with was saying that this is a dang good year to not be guiding on the Yellowstone because of uh, the hoot owl restriction, restrictions that are sure to come and uh, mm. like the the heat wave we have coming up. Do you share that sentiment, Low water Chester? Here. Yeah, I mean, if, for people that don't know, these rivers out here once they hit, I think it's around seventy degree water temps. Um, you you want to shut the rivers down because with all this pressure, shut of, the rivers down to fishing. At a certain time, they call it a hoot owl. So at two o'clock, wait, a hoot owl, a hoot owl. Yep. Yeah, they need to rebrand it. <laughs> yeah. So you just can't, you can fish in the mornings, um, but they don't want you fishing when that water gets above that certain temperature, just because it's really hard on the fish and it can kill them. And it's a really low water year. So I mean. Usually the Yellowstone's the last river out here to kind of be put in a hoot owl, but um, the way things are going, it's probably going to be a, a pretty warm year for these fish. And, so. and I would say if if you fancy yourself an angler and you want to keep fishing during those times, you, you should really switch over from catch and release to catch and keep, like... It oh, was, instead of going letting 30 of them go? Uh, yeah, you're yeah. going to be killing a high percentage of fish. I mean, even when those temps are in the 60s. Yeah, and I think if you are fishing then, it's like, if you're going to release, fight them fast. Like, a lot of people like to keep yeah. them on. And it's just like, get them in the boat, and in the mornings, when it's still cool, you can release them if you're fighting them fast. Fight them fast, unhook them, get them back. You're still the killing fish. If you go and you're feeling all good about yourself, you let it's it's warm out and you let twenty trout go that day, you killed a bunch of trout. You just did. So what they just can't recover from the stress of the of the catch. Exactly. When, when, it's, when it's hot, it's worse. And trout are sensitive. Right. I mean, I, like I, you know, they, they've done these like mortality things with largemouth bass. I mean, you still got to you know you got you should handle them gently and all that, but um, they're not nearly as susceptible. Sure. They're not nearly as susceptible as trout are. Trout are like are very fragile in hot temperatures. Cold water, high oxygen, or 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 death. Right? I mean, yeah, for they the don't, most part, they don't they don't do well. But I, you know, you talk to bass guys and they'll look at them afterward, and it's just hard to. Um, not trying to say you should go stick your finger over their gills and all that, but right. they're, just, they, they're tougher. Sure. But you're glad you're out of the guiding game for this summer, Chester. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really busy out there, and. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of had my time. I'm happy, happy where I'm at. So, but 
Yeah, it's going to be a rough year, I think. I feel like there are, is it kind of a young man's game or young person's game for that matter? You know, uh, like I'm sure there's some, some older folks that just, you know, go for, you know, 40, 50 years or something, but you know, just being on the boat with you for a day, doing that every day, I'm sure it's like when it's, when it's go time, it's like guys are probably out there as much as possible, right? Like making hay when it shines. I could see that, you know, being, being taxing. It's not an easy job. It's fun. Right. But you're working. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do know some guys that are really old and they've done it for a long time and I'm surprised that they keep on going, but young man's game for sure. Cuz they get you get bitter. Yeah, bitter and kind of lazy. A lot of those old guys, they kind of just went through the motions after a while and they'd yep. still catch fish, but um definitely a young man's game. Uh, you know what Chester told me too um is that after lunchtime People get sluggish. It starts to get warm. They eat their lunch. They always think the fishing got worse. <laughs> they don't realize that they're in a they're comatose from you lunch. Got lazy and they're hot. Yeah, sure slow down. Yeah, that's universal because I mean, they're I not. They're not. They're just kind of like. Ugh. I think that's why it's smart it's to to really have like kind of a light a light lunch, right? You go bring some big like Italian sub and a bag of chips and a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like that's gonna put you down. You know, I feel like like you need something just lean. Like sushi. I know it's not like the best boat thing to bring around. Oh, shit, but... I forgot about our sushi. Oh, I got it. And I'm plugging it. And, uh, you know, something that can keep you kind of like you know, protein, a little carbohydrate, you know, but not like fill you up. Oh, yeah. The bread's kind of the enemy, I think, when, when you're fishing. Yeah, that's, that's when you Bill should break out, break out those open face sandwiches. You don't want to do the, the, the closed face of lunch. That's, that's a mistake. That's a good point, man. That'd be a good fishing <laughs> guy <much>. trick. <laughs> open face reduce the Reduce the bread by a half. You catch a hell of a lot more fish. You catch 25% more fish. There you go. I, I solved it. Uh, okay, I want everybody to remember that what precipitated that long conversation was me pointing out about uh, Spencer being titillated, no doubt, how he will become titillated when we turn to stream access because of the implications for his rock hounding. And I have a feeling as well that when we're talking about low water and all the the bad things about that when it comes to agricultural irrigation, it hurts that, it hurts fish, he's over there licking his lips, <laughs> thinking about all those rocks, previously unexposed rocks that he's going to pick through during the global end times of low water. So another low, here, here's another river access issue. A lot of people, eh, I shouldn't say a lot, a handful of people wrote in about this. Years ago, I wrote a book, and, and a big part of the book, the book is called American Buffalo, and it had kind of like two things that, that made it happen. Uh, I found a skull. So I found a buffalo skull um, at, at a high elevation. It was like a really nice skull, and I, and, and I explore this skull a lot, and I explore the history of the species and all that. But another big part of the book is I drew a permit to uh, – I drew a limited draw permit to hunt for a buffalo um, – in an area of the Wrangell, St. Elias in Alaska. And we got a lot of people writing in about this because when you have this, this permit, I think the permit number is called DI-454. If you were to be, if you were to draw DI-454, um, you, and you get to looking at a map, you realize there's a real problem. You have to access the hunt area along a river. And, and most of the things along the river is native corporations. So in Alaska, like tribes are formed into corporations and these corporations have shareholders, which is tribal members. And they're into all manner of businesses. They could be in logging, mining, um, tourism things, 
you know, they have investments all over the world. A uh, lot of extraction industry and other stuff. And they're managed on, the lands are managed on behalf of these shareholders. At the time that I drew the permit and wrote the book, um, there was no way you could go on Atna land to hunt, right? You had to find, and if you look at a map, they own the Atna land, the native corporation land is like a corridor on each bank of the river. And it's, and it's hard to find little avenues to get up into the Wrangell St. Elias to hunt um, without trespassing on Atna land. You kind of got to walk up creek bottoms and stuff like that to get in there. Then for years, uh, Atna started this program. A- after I had the permit, Atna started this program where they would sell trespassing rights. And they sold for a lot of money. But I think a lot of guys bought it. You could, it was like a thousand bucks. So if you drew DI four five four, you could write a check to the native corporation for a thousand bucks, and it would allow you to trespass and hunt Atna land. And that became like a lot of people's avenue to hunt Atna. Just now, here, here's another thing I'll point out. Um, Atna used to run ads in like the Anchorage Daily News. They would run ads basically saying like, "Hey, hunters, don't go on our land." Like reminding you not to go on their land to hunt. Um, they just issued a press release saying they're, they're, they're not allowing access on their lands anymore. They're not selling hunting access. And a lot of people wrote in like, oh, the world's coming to an end. Um, I feel like they have short memories because for a super long time, you couldn't either. Then you could for a short period of time. And now you can't again. I don't think the world's coming to an end. I think it's kind of like, it's just where it was. Now, did they shut? I mean, it? people been hunting that damn. People been people been hunting that hunt. Success. I mean, it's it's the the success rates are very low, but a lot of people don't even show up. Like the year I had, they gave out twenty four permits, and four of us got one. Low success rate. I don't think it's low because of that. Now, do you think they shut it down because? Sure, they had, say, the 20 folks that had permission, but then some folks just saw that as like, well, the frigate, you know, they're doing it, so we can just kind of tail into it. And I just- have no idea why. It might be that shareholders felt that uh, the interruption wasn't worth the money. I don't know. Sure. I have no idea why. It'd be interesting to know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like, curious enough to really find out. I don't know that they, they don't have any obligation to explain why. It's private land. They don't want to sell the permits anymore. But I just think that I don't think you can look at that and say that it's indicative of anything because it's private property. Right. It's not like a closure of because in Alaska they're also right now facing like very serious closures of federally managed public lands to hunting. That's something to get in our open arms about. But you, you just don't have any control over what they want. It's, it's their property. It's their land. They're, they're going to do it or not do it, but I don't think it's emblematic of some broader thing. Sure. But it brings up this stream access stuff because you can, to get through this narrow buffer, and in some places this buffer is like a couple hundred yards on either side. To get through it, you get into a stream and you put waders on and wade up that stream to get across the buffer. And then, boop, you can go wherever the hell you want. Think about that. Where's my interest meter? I'll turn it. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think that is the the thing with stream access, right? Like that's why it's such an important rule to fight for. Why, in my opinion, the folks in New Mexico need to like really get after the Fish and Game Commission is those the reason that commerce 
stream commerce was included in, in the Constitution of the United States is the fact that those waterways are, are a vital mode of transportation and mm-hmm. always have been. And if you're like to hunt and fish, they remain vital modes of transportation. Even beyond that, if you're a savvy like bird watcher, mushroom picker, whatever, like it is a means it's a road. Yeah, it's the highway. Yeah, exactly. If you're sitting there wondering, why the hell is Cal talking about New Mexico all of a sudden? Well, because we're going to be joined uh, right now real quick. This is all, all going to become relevant. We're going to be joined right now real quick by uh, Senator Martin Heinrich, who's been on the show before. He's a senator. He likes to hunt and fish. You go into his office. You've been in his office in D.C.? I have, yep. All kind of skulls and hides and stuff hanging around. Oh, yeah, some cool No doubt. Stuff. No yeah. doubt it has cost him. He's probably gained from it and it's probably cost him. Yeah, I imagine it, uh, if you were a, a truly savvy politician, you would uh, not lay any cards out on the table. No. You'd be like, I am a uh, blank sheet of paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, he lays them out hard. Yeah, he's got <laughs> horns and antlers and it's great. Uh, we're going to talk about a stream access issue in New Mexico right now, but um, he's going to explain what's going on there. And then we're going to tell you uh, as well about why it matters to you. Hey, man, it's a struggle to find time to manage one's finances. It's a struggle to find time to manage my finances. You go through like a busy week and the last thing you want to do is spend time budgeting you know your expenses and tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions you're paying for that you don't use but now you use rocket money and does all of that for me i'll tell you this this happens all the time in our family because like something will come out that we want to watch and they lure you in with a one month trial and you're like oh you know i'll do the one month trial then i'll come back and cancel then i can watch this whole thing and then like you don't you forget about it, and then, and then a year goes by, and you've been paying these guys 12 bucks all year and never watched a single thing. This finds that stuff and gets rid of it for you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dogs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Dogs' place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay? 
comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Okay, we're joined uh, joined here right now by Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico, longtime uh, longtime friend of the show. I've hunted with the senator. Um, first off, first question: We're talking about river access, stream access rules. Like the okay, picture this for a minute, just to set the stage. You, you, the listener, picture this. Picture that you go down to uh, a boat launch on a river or on a lake, let's say, and you launch your boat. So you go to the boat launch, you launch your boat. And then you float down the river or you cruise along the shoreline and all of a sudden you're not out in front of the river access anymore. You're out in front of some dude's house or you're out in front of a business or you're floating down the river and you're going down the river and on the right-hand side is private property, it's homes. And on the left-hand side, it's private property, it's homes. How is it that you're allowed to be in the river even though one could argue that you're floating through private land. Many of us grow up, live our lives doing this without ever stopping to ask the question, Hey, why is it I'm allowed to float down a river? Um, some people know in certain States, they know that that's a hell of a lot more complicated than it is in most States. And we're going to look at a, a microcosm of some rules and potential rule changes in New Mexico which is remains relevant to whether you live in New Mexico or not, because we're going to talk about how those rules exist, challenges to those rules. And so it's not like so much New Mexico news, it's kind of American news, but we're looking at a case in New Mexico. But first, uh, Senator Heinrich, did you draw any um, sweet hunting tags for New Mexico this year? One. I got, I've got a uh, bull elk tag. In Unit 50, which is the sort of Rio Grande del Norte National Monument, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. One of my one of my favorite things about Senator Heinrich is that as a U.S. senator, he, I mean, among many other hunts, one hunt as a U.S. senator, he drew a muzzleloader tag on national forest land 
And so if you're walking down the trailhead, you would like pass a guy packing out a bowl, which he got, packing out a bowl with his muzzle loader, and probably wouldn't be like, I bet that guy's a U.S. senator. Um, just out knocking around on, on national forest land, which is kind of, I don't know, tickles me. So Senator Heinrich, walk us through kind of like how stream access has been defined in New Mexico and how could it be that they still are, you know, in 2022 are asked or 21, sorry, are asking questions about what it means. Well, I think you're asking the right question, Steve, because I, I think we should start with how things have been because that was the basis for how stream access actually got uh, codified in Supreme law in the, in the, the New Mexico constitution. Uh, there was a long history in New Mexico of both uh, Indian tradition, tribal tradition, and then Spanish law of people being able to access streams, uh, including for fishing. So including wading, because uh, unlike a lot of places in New Mexico, navigability is not a standard. You know, our streams are, um, they're not perennial in some cases, even the Rio Grande goes dry in stretches. So New Mexico has a little bit of a different tradition of uh, what is considered a public stream than you might have in a riparian um, state. We're a, a prior uh, appropriation state, which means that the beneficial use of water, which includes fishing, is something that, that is held by the public. And so in our state constitution, that's protected. And I think what has changed is that we've had folks move to New Mexico who were used to laws in other places, used to traditions in other places, used to riparian law. And there has been an effort which a previous governor supported uh, to use the law to sort of supersede the constitution and change the standard for what is a public stream that you can fish in and wade in. Senator, do you mind def- explaining to people what you mean when you say navigable, like how it works in some states around, around whether it's navigable or not? So in many states, the standard by which uh, you can access a stream or not access a stream, in many states, that's based on whether the stream is navigable. Um, because New Mexico has a different history and a different geography, that has never been a legal standard in our state. It's not some. It's not a word that comes up in the Constitution. It's actually not uh, the standard that the Supreme Court, when they ruled on whether or not people had this right to be able to wade and fish in our streams, never has the word navigable come up until the last few years in trying to sort of set a new standard and a, and a new way of doing things. You know, we have a standard in our Constitution and we have a Supreme Court ruling in our state that says New Mexico streams and waters have always been public. And uh, that includes accessibility specifically for fishing, even if private lands abut those streams on either side. So say someone, you mentioned people moving to New Mexico and not having a perhaps a, a a deep reverence for the way things have been managed in New Mexico for perhaps hundreds of years. What would they look at if they, they move in on a stream 
and they own both sides of the stream and they see people waiting around fishing and they want to put an end to that. How do you like, what is the argument you come out and make? Like, clearly you just want to have it be that it's, that it's for you and not for other people, but you can't frame it that way. Right. You have to probably try to frame it around some kind of logic. Yeah. And, and and typically what you will hear from some of the people who are trying to, um, you know, string barbed wire across streams that have have never been uh, off limits to the public is that, you know, there are people who will abuse that resource. And I I think that's, um, you know, it's an issue that that appeals to all of us. I mean, if somebody is going to litter, if somebody is going to be uh, behaving in a way that's not respectful of the fishing resource or of the stream itself, you can regulate all those things and you can throw the book at somebody who uh, doesn't respect the, the the legal principle that the land, the private land on the sides of those streams uh, is private land and you can't trespass on it. So there are a whole bunch of ways to get at the primary argument, which is if you let people do this, there are going to be beer cans in the streams and there's going to be, you know, those fishermen, they're, they, they don't respect um, anything and, and we're going to have a mess on our hands. So I think even if you buy that argument, the, uh, the way to fix that is to set really strict rules. And, you know, in my experience, anybody who can read a fishing proclamation is usually pretty good at following the rules. And, uh, and I think that's the appropriate way to resolve some of these conflicts and still respect the proper property right that every New Mexican has to those streams. Have you guys in New Mexico, have you seen a gradual reduction in how many streams the public is able to access? Like have, have people who are opposed to open stream access, have they made progress? Yes, just in the last decade, uh, we saw a, a governor who uh, did not agree with the, the Supreme Court ruling and the history um, signed a law that allowed people to apply to Game and Fish to certify that their streams are non-navigable. And the problem with that is navigable is not the standard that our Constitution uses. It's not the standard that our uh, Supreme Court used when they ruled on this issue all the way back in 1947. So we're now trying, uh, there is a, there's a court case to overturn uh, that, uh, to overturn that new law, because you can't overturn the Constitution with a new law. And we have seen people stringing barbed wire across streams that people used to float, that people used to wade, that people fished in for, you know, hundreds of years. And uh, that's that's something that has a, a real cultural resonance in our state. So you 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 have, or, or the state of New Mexico rather, has a pending list of requests coming in from landowners to close off. Like like, how many are we talking about? Uh, it, it's a handful, but if they continue to approve these, it's going to be. Uh, in my view, death by a thousand cuts, because it'll happen over and over and over again. Uh, we've seen uh, a previous game commission approve some. Uh, you know, I wrote to the current game commission and said, you don't get to make a ruling that's in conflict with the Constitution. So 
hold off and see what the Supreme Court says on this. So that that's your request is to stop is while it's pending and while it's being litigated to stop acting on a ruling that could be unconstitutional and stop granting closures. Yeah, and I, and I think they have the full authority, uh, to be clear, to deny these applications outright, um, given that we have a number of attorney general's opinions um, that says that the Constitution does not allow excluding the public from public water, even if it's running through private property. Do, in a case like this, where the Game Commission receives the the, the inquiry or the you know the request is it can you comment on or is it safe to say like what their attitude about it is are they just trying to be compliant or does the or does the state game commission have they do they have a stated opinion about this so the the current game commission has not acted on this um it's a different commission makeup than when that law was passed um and so this will this will potentially set the die for their their position on this going forward, um, and and so we don't know for sure what the game commission is going to do. When what do you feel is going to happen in New Mexico when the when the Supreme Court weighs in on it? Do, do you have a prediction? I I feel cautiously optimistic about the Supreme Court uh, because the the facts of the law haven't changed. And there are so many um, there are so many facts that sort of stack up against the admissibility of the current law. Um, we have three different attorney generals over the years just flat out saying that this is the standard. You can't exclude people from public waters. Um, you have the underlying language in the New Mexico Constitution, and then you have case law. Um, so in 1947, the the New Mexico Supreme Court ruled in a case called uh, the State versus Red River Valley Company that expressly rejected the idea that public water uh, could be rendered inaccessible uh, because it's surrounded by private land. I got a question for you that you got to give people a little physics, le- or not physics. What do they call it when you study government in, co- in high school? Civics. Civics, not physics. Man, I'd be lost. I prefer physics, physics. but I'll try with physics. You prefer, yeah. Uh, Senator Heinrich was trained as an engineer, so I, I understand that. But yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do civics. How okay, you as a as a US senator, you're elected by the people of New Mexico. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You're you're elected by the people of New Mexico to represent their interests in at a federal level in Washington, DC. Is it normal and is it considered, um, is it kind of like okay and normal for you to then come around and kind of communicate to state agencies at a state level? Are you like carpet bagging or, or, or how, how does that work? No, I'm simply standing up for my constituents and for the rights and privileges and property privileges that they've always had. And, um, you know, I think there's a long history of, you know, Senator Udall, who just retired, was also uh, was an advocate for these same rights, both when he was attorney general at the state level and then 
once he became uh, a sitting senator. In fact, the two of us uh, wrote an amicus brief to the New Mexico Supreme Court case that's in front of the court right now. And, you know, I, I think if people don't step up and protect the historic rights of, um, of the hunting and fishing community, uh, and in this case, fishing, uh, traditional wading, uh, we will lose we will lose that resource and we'll never get it back. Do you mind helping people who, who don't live in New Mexico understand a little bit about why this subject is real for them? And I think you're, you know, you're qualified to do that because the position you hold, you're aware of, you know, you're made aware of how these issues have ramifications across the whole country. And, and no doubt you have colleagues who deal with similar problems. So can you kind of sketch out how people might look at, what's happening here and then better understand risks to their own hunting and fishing rights where they live? Yeah, I think in particular, we have seen all across the country, a lot of streams where there is a, a clear uh, easement of some sort, a property right that belongs either to individuals or in many cases to the public, whether that's, um, and it's true on streams, it's often true on beaches, um, where people have said, I don't want to recognize that property right, and I'm going to chase you off this because I have property next door. And that, that private property right conveys both ways. You get, to, you get to make decisions about your property, but you can't take away a long-established private property right from somebody else. And, you know, I, we've seen too many episodes of people getting, you know, chased off of gravel bars and beaches on streams um, that are clearly according to the law. And, you know, you're someone who, having read your books, I, I know how you accessed your bison hunt in Alaska. That is a property right to be able to use the stream to get to where you need to go. And uh, there are more and more efforts now to either change that outright or make it so hard and so unpleasant to use that, um, you know, to use that stream resource for travel that people will just quit doing it. And I think that's a very dangerous, uh, for lack of a better term, slippery slope. All right, Senator Heinrich, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for explaining this issue. Um, hope you have a lot of good luck on it. If there's any last final thoughts you want to add in and, and you have time, go ahead. Um, if not, look forward to having you in our studio sometime soon. No, it's always an honor to, to join your listeners. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm really just grateful for uh, what you all have done um, to, to really create a, a picture of the sporting community um, that is complex and nuanced and really food focused. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that because it, it helps me explain why I'm so passionate about hunting and fishing uh, to constituents and friends who, who aren't part of that community. Oh, well, th thank you very much. And uh, best of luck to you. Enjoy the weather there in Washington, DC, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. What do you make of all that Callahan? Boy, very similar, right? Like it's uh, an issue that I think will keep popping up uh, amongst the the changing landscape of, of the West, right? Like yeah. recreation versus private property rights. 
when it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Uh, in regards to New Mexico specifically, if you would like to weigh in on this issue, I believe the best place to go is the New Mexico Fish and Game Commission. Uh, very easy to access information. You'll be able to email, I believe, the commission as an entity and then individual commissioners. You can also track down letters that uh, you can sign on to at New Mexico um, uh, Wildlife Federation, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, and New Mexico Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, and then you whitewater folks, American Whitewater, I believe, um, is involved in, in this one as well. Thank you, Cal. Call to action, Cal. <laughs> Call to Yeah, I'm trying to think of a better rhyme. I'll work on it, Callan. <laughs> Gotta have it. Call to action, Cal. Let's call it a Cal to action. Oh, oh no! Damn it! Damn it, he nailed it! A Cal to action! God, God he can't be man. slow around Phil. <laughs> he just sits there sometimes. You just wonder if he's like, you know, but he's just stewing away, man. He's coming up with the zingers. He's not wasting a bunch of time talking about stupid shit. He's just waiting to get in there with something good. God, it's the, Cal to action. It's the seven. Did you think about that last night laying in bed? Uh, no, no, man. Just it, hit you right now. Just came to me. I don't know what to say. My you know, goodness. You can't contain it. Remember, my uh, goodness. Boondock Saints. They have an analogy on Seven Eleven. Says we're not always doing business, but we're always open. That's <laughs> that's Phil right there. <laughs> <laughs> man, that was really, really deeply impressive. <laughs> when I was growing up, um, I lived on a lake, and like the you know Michigan, you walk around the lake, right? You just walk along the shoreline. And uh, you, know, you don't go in people's yards, but you just walk along the beach. And the thinking had always been when you put a when you put your dock out, okay, you're like putting a dock out out over public property, right? So you could put it. Everybody put a dock out, but you could go along the beach and go out and cast off everybody's dock. Nice. Virtually everyone is on board with this. Virtually everyone's on board with this, but there's certain people around the lake. When you were a kid, you knew that when you went out on their dock, um, someone's gonna come yell at you. That yeah, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Like if I had a dock, don't put your dock out in my water. And then, <laughs> oh, yeah, but then right. all of a sudden, what happens if you know if little Tommy comes on the dock and breaks his leg? Oh come on! I hate to go there, but that's the world we're in. I'm just telling you this. <laughs> there were certain. People, curmudgeons. Oh, I guess I'm one of them. The worst offender died off. <laughs> they all do. The worst offender died off. I, I'll even, you know, it was. Uh, I don't know how long ago, Mrs. I, you know what? Hey, she, she, like, it was her decision. Mrs. Angelo was, <laughs> and we were Italians too. So, like, she didn't even give us like the old Italian right, right. to Italian deal. Very un-Italian of her. Very un-Italian to not let another Italian. <laughs> <laughs> you know what kind we, we, we stick together with the old world people that's right so miss angelo somehow got away with it my entire childhood no one went and challenged her yeah she was nasty huh it's just she would not let you on her dock she wouldn't let she wouldn't she, you could like go along her beach but she didn't even like you to loiter for a minute yeah totally illegal her. but no one challenged her Oh, okay. So legally, you were allowed oh, to yeah. go. Yeah, you're allowed to walk along the beach. You're allowed. To, you can't. You can't. 
you putting a platform out over the water doesn't mean you own, it's like you're borrowing the space. Right. But no one would stick up to Miss Angelo. Yeah, I wouldn't. They gave you a young kid. Oh, she was mean. They gave you the, there's a lot of other docs. She was mean. Type of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was the ad. She was like, yeah, there's, you know, classic 30 docs. She's going to a different doc. Is Miss Angelo's doc the best doc or? Well, let me tell you, she was right on the channel. (laughs) So she was like, there's a channel that connected our lake, Middle Lake with West Lake. And so it was an interesting little area. Yeah. And that channel was a big lily pad thing. And, Bluegills would come up there because the water would warm up in there. So, yeah, you wanted to be around there. Oh, plus not being able to go there makes it an even yeah. better spot, especially as a kid. Like, Grass you is know. greener, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's she hiding? Yeah. She had a flat roof. Yeah. I, feel like my <laughs> old man, I feel like my old man once said that there was a bunch of water on there and he saw a duck land up there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that sticks in my head. You know how uh, you know how bass anglers like to like pull bass out of the shadows of people's personal docs and like oh. they get they get real intimate with boy do personal I. docs yeah. yeah i saw on a fishing group yesterday it was like fishing open water fishing minnesota uh somebody posted a picture of a dock that they were rolling up on to pull bass out of the shadows from and a motion activated sprinkler turned on <laughs> and started spraying their boat that's that's like an evolution that i don't know if we ever saw that's coming. dirty yeah um in lake washington which is that you know big ass lake in seattle there's uh, apartment buildings built like on piers and you can fish the shadows of apartment buildings and you're basically like looking into people's bathrooms and stuff out of your boat, you know, but still then no, like no one would come out and holler at you. And what are you pulling out of there? You'd find bluegills and smallmouth in there. In the shadows. In the shadows. And the bluegills weirdly would come up, even if it's 10, 12 feet of water, they'd come up and lay. Uh, they Well, no, sh- shading. But weirdly, they'd come up to the surface to lay in the shade. Huh. You'd look and they'd just be everywhere. You think it's because the water was just a little warmer on the top? I don't know what they liked about it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they liked. You could catch them out of there, though. Uh, Brad. Yes, sir. Um, With that taken care of, I got to cover off. I'm going to talk about some stuff, but I would I would appreciate it if you would begin serving your bluefin tuna. I, I was... Thought you'd never ask. I got it sliced up. We got some bluefin. I got a little bit of uh, shoyu uh, with some friends that I make out in coastal Connecticut. Oh, you uh, make that? Yeah. So I, tell I, people a, what shoyu is. Yeah. So it's just a Japanese name for uh, soy sauce, which yeah. is kind if of. If you a, want, if you want to be pretentious, you yeah. can say shoyu. Well, no, I mean, no. I mean, if it's if it's a Japanese style, I guess, right? So I don't, okay. I don't think all soy sauces are, and that's kind of a blanket. You term. can say it without so being pretentious. He's being precise because this is your this is your world. It's your he's business. Being precise. Sure, and yeah. it's just it's a respect thing too, you know, and, and like my. And the folks that I make it with, we were highly influenced by Japanese cuisine. So I think gotcha. it was just, it's a nice thing to, and it was a major conversation we had. Do we call it soy sauce or shoyu on the bottle? And I, you know, given that most of the, you know, the people that are going to be buying this are from America, it was like, you know, I, and we all voted, let's keep it shoyu. Listen, that was a horrible thing I said. What? No, no, it wasn't. When I said about the pretentious No, it was perfect. And anyway, yeah. we're going to drizzle that. And this is something we make. It's, it's aged. It's like, a, it's like a year-old process. And it's just koji, soybeans, water, and it ferments back to the fermentation. And this is just a nice little umami liquid that comes off it. And, uh, and you got a bag of cooked rice. Yeah, good old Cal, Cal brought that for us. A little oh, okay. wasabi. Thanks, I, brought the, I brought the tuna and a little shoyu. I'll just do a little drizzle. And then um, wh- anyone who wants it. Yeah, go that direction because I'm going to talk about something. Yeah. And uh, listen, if... It, if 
it's not fishy. It's as fresh as it gets. It was frozen with the skin on it. And when we defrosted it, the skin had a little bit of a fishiness. In case anyone was wondering. Oh, listen, I'm very excited. This is going to taste better knowing that um, a buddy of yours named Vinny from New Seriously, Jersey bought this. Thanks, Vinny. No, Connecticut. Thank you, Vinny. Connecticut. It'd be different if it was a guy named Steve. Like, that would mean less. Yeah, because this Vinny... is so, like, it's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Vinny makes this yeah. uh, even better. No, okay, like, a guy named Steve is, like, I, 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 like my interest meter, I just turn it down. <laughs> Vinny, like, what's Vinny a guy might, named Steve going to bring to this? Vinny might be, today may be the first time we've uttered the name Vinny on this show, yeah. I think. Yeah, this is the, so. this is the uh, inaugural appearance yeah. of a man named Vinny. Well, we'll see how this tuna goes. And maybe if you know, if you guys invite me out here next time, I'll bring old Vincenzo and we'll uh, we'll, Speak, talk, we'll talk a tune. Speaking of names, guy wrote in. His last name's Fisher. So his name, this feller's name is Austin Fisher. And he and his wife are expecting a child in December, their first child. He wants to name, he doesn't care if it's a boy or a girl. He wants to name it Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thinking that, what better name than Hunter Fisher? I, I, His wife I is not too hip to it. She's not, she's not completely writing it off, but she said, after some serious discussion, his wife said that if Giannis or Steve says Hunter Fisher is a good name on the podcast, we can name our child Hunter. Hmm. Take do I poll. want to do that? Take a poll. Do a lot I of want pressure. to do that? A lot of pressure on you. Now, mm. I generally, generally would advise against naming him Hunter. Because I think it can backfire. Popular name these days. Yeah, but I think it can backfire. A lot of hunters name their kid Hunter thinking they're going to be a hunter. Kid's going to get made fun of. I named yeah. my kid James. He's yeah. a big time hunter. If I'd have named him Hunter, maybe he'd have been like, ah, I don't know, it's just so much pressure. It's too much Kid doesn't need that. But his name, last name is Fisher. Hunter Fisher? No. I mean, the Dude, kid's going to get made fun of. I love it. No. Uh, no, you can't do yeah. it. Can't oh. do it. Yeah, you can. What do you think, Cal? Legally, you can. Cal's thinking hard. <laughs> I think you go by your last name, right? So I had a dog named Fisher, and I called her the Big Fish. And if somebody just goes around and says, hey, Fish, come over here. Like, that's a catchy name. That's a good name. Oh, yeah. So I would say go with whatever first name you want. And the kid's going to go by fish. I'm, I'm going to bring this back to a conversation I had with my wife when we were trying to name. God, that's good. It is very <laughs> that good. Is so yeah. good. <laughs> Thanks, Vinny and Brad. That is amazing. Yeah, fish. this this is freaking. <laughs> I want a Vinny on the show, man. Oh, God, I'm going I'm to have seconds. So good. We were co- mm. contemplating calling our second son Porter, which is a name I like. But my like last a guy name that carries things. Yeah, sure. But uh, my our last name is Taylor. And I'm Porter gonna, Taylor. That sounds like a clothing store. Exactly. I don't like the last syllable mm. matching with you know sure. Porter yeah. Taylor Hunter, Hunter Fisher. Fisher. I that mm. that's that's where I draw some some beef too. So Phil's that. saying no. I'm saying no. Spencer, uh, I don't love it. Hmm. Chester, whatever floats their boat. <laughs> I guess it's the one thing you know. Like if you have a kid, you know you get to name it. You know, it's like, that's like, you got that, you know, you earned that one. So go ahead and name it whatever you want, but think about the child, you yeah. know, like, and I bring that up. This has nothing to do with that kind of naming, but uh, I have two kids and my, my wife, she, our first son, she had this idea. My last name's Leone. And she had this like family name, this guy, one great, great uncle's name was Caesar, you know, like his French guy or something. And uh, she was like, why don't we name our kid Caesar Leone? And I'm like, 
Yeah. Are you out of your mind, Caesar <laughs> Leone? And we're from New Jersey? Just shut that right down. Well, you know, <laughs> is he going to make black and white yeah, films? He's like going to be Moody in jail. <laughs> What's he going to do? But Nothing I, good. But I. But here, can I point out a hypocrisy in you, Brad? Go right ahead. You yesterday. <laughs> guy doesn't miss anything. No, you yesterday were telling me something that a that a that a food biologist or something told you. Rosemary Trout. Shout out to Rosemary and Trout. You said. You pointed out that you especially believed her because her name was Rosemary Trout. Yeah. It's a good one, Steve. You're right. I, I didn't name so, her. I'm glad her parents did. But You're like, how could you argue with someone named Rosemary Trout? So now about a food issue. And I'm like, sure, man. I'm not going to argue a woman named Rosemary Trout about right. food. And I, I named my daughter Rosemary. So Hunter Fisher, should he become so inclined? He better be good at it, Steve. You're uh, like, if... If I'm talking to a guy and I'm like, uh, I'm at a wedding, you know, and you're bored out of your mind, you always find the person likes to hunt yeah. and talk to them. So, and I get, they're like, oh, you know, you should talk to that guy. He likes to hunt and fish. And I go over and I'm like, hey, what's your name? I heard you like to hunt and fish. He's like, my name's Hunter Fisher. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Great bar talk. I'm in. I'm open to what they have to say. It's I think it's a great idea. It's great bar talk, you know? And like, I, I, if you're going to name your kid Hunter Fisher, you got a lot riding on that. You got a lot riding on They better be into it. You know, if, if he's, what if he's a rock hound? Uh-oh. Or rock what, if he's, what if he turns out to be a librarian? Oh, Hunter Fisher, the librarian? I guess it works. Maybe the compromise here is middle name, Hunter. Mm, mm. Idea, Bob Hunter Fisher. No. <laughs> Joe Hunter Fisher. <laughs> Ecologist. Hunter Fisher. <laughs> Joe Doctor. Hunter. Don't. Joe, he, oh, he thinks he's Joe Hunter Doctor. Fisher. Be like, no, he is Joe Hunter Fisher. It's his name. He doesn't think he's Joe Hunter Fisher. Yeah. If your name's Hunter Fisher or Rosemary Trout, you got to go full, You got to go doctor. You got to go straight, go all the way. Go first name as doctor. This <laughs> first also, name as doctor. Did we talk about this on the show? This reminds me of, of uh, there's, a, there's a doctor who performs circumcisions and hmm. his... Last name, his first name is Dick. Richard, is no. Dick, and his last name is Chop. No. And no. He, yes, Stop he is. Shut it down. Dr. Dick Chop. Oh, that was See? like on, a, wow. what's his name's late night show? Dr. Dr. Dick Man, they've yeah. really cut back on naming people Dick. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. They all went Rick. They all went Rick. Yeah. Richard's all just bailed on the game and became Rick. And when, oh. when, I, when I went in to watch my boys get circumcised, and it's like now a lot of people are opting to not do that. You know, like a buddy of mine didn't do it with his kid. He's like, I don't know, man. Like he, first thing that happens to him when he's born, first thing that happens is he gets like sexually mutilated. mutilated. It was intense. I don't know. It was like, welcome to, welcome to the earth, you know. It's intense. Um, yeah. But I, we, we did it because people do it. And we're just like very, uh, you know, pure pressure. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know, you know. And then I've also heard people uh, do it and not do it because they were like afraid that they wanted their genitalia to look like their kids because they thought it would oh. cause confusion for their kids. That's where my brain went. Really? I was like, yeah, I just want the boys looking different than dad, you know? Yeah. It was very I'm, selfish. I felt bad like when like afterwards. Well, I was like, oh my God, but these I'm, poor children. I'm guessing there's other significant differences when they're a little boy. But I'd hope so, Steve. <laughs> so I went in to watch it happen. I went in with the person, which I think is common to go in. And uh and I and she was, you know, doing it, cutting it off. And I said something to the effect of, wow, you know. And the person doing it says, oh, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, while doing it. Um, 
Here's something interesting for you, Spencer. My interest meter is already way up. I, we, I could talk for oddly. I was very into talking about. Yeah. Where are those meters? <laughs> you, they're they're back here. We can plug them in if you want. And next time, I'd like to have them plugged in. We'll do it. They'll be ready. Do you feel that that falls under your responsibilities? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you were like, dude. Last thing I need is another thing rolled in under my uh, under under my like uh, bailiwick. Well, I've told Corinne I thought the interest meter. Listen, craftsmanship incredible. Thanks to the guy who made them. I, I think it's a terrible idea. Oh, I didn't know it was <laughs> real. <laughs> man. I, right out in the public, he says that. <laughs> yeah, where's the other half of that sandwich, Phil? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you round it off and make it a compliment sandwich? Uh, great <laughs> shoes. Oh, no, no, no. To the guy. You said beautiful craftsmanship. Oh, horrible idea. Well, it was your idea. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's one for you, Spencer. You'll like um, about your new tattoo, mm-hmm. Brad. You look like a tattooed fellow. No, I no tattoos. No, I have, uh, I have one. <laughs> yeah, I have I one. Saw a tattoo it's horrible. On you. It's the worst. Let me but, see it again. What is it? Uh, it's on my ankle. Hold on, I gotta step away from the microphone. It's on my ankle, and it's my oh, initials it's... in a license plate kind of thing. But, but the, the the it's not my initials. We got it from this guy Joe Buds when we were like fifteen, and there was like your friends have great names. Joe Buds, Joe Buds criminal, and um, <laughs> yeah, Joe Joe Buds. I don't know. I probably shouldn't say his name. He's gonna kill me. But um, Joe Buds, we were like fifteen. You know, he tattooed a bunch of kids. You know, and uh, we were. <laughs> And Joe, Randy came right, you went right to Joe Bud's house, you know, no fucking around. You guys curse on here? I'm sorry. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, people, uh, people sure complain I'll, about I'll, it. Yeah, I'll avoid that. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I do appreciate a good family show. Well, um, you know, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, like, when it, it just happens down then, and, and people get upset, and they're like, oh, you know, what about the kids, you know, man? Like, I'm all about but, the kids. But, like, I just feel like, um, I got a bad mouth. I just feel like the, it, it's just, they're going to find out. They're going to find out that there's naughty words. They're going to be watching, uh, you know, like a Mel Gibson movie. Eventually, they're gonna no, leave Mel out of this. <laughs> whatever, poor Mel. You know, they're gonna they're gonna be whatever. You know, they're gonna be watching a, a, an adventure movie. Yeah, and there's gonna be a naughty word in it. And are they then gonna turn off the adventure movie? Right. No, I'm kind of with you. They're gonna be watching adventures. I was watching adventures and babysitting with my kids. There's the F word. No kid. No kid. No, no I, I'm not gonna be like, okay, kids, we'll never find out what happens to these. <laughs> Protagonist, right. shutting her down. After this episode, if somebody's like, how dare you cuss in front of a child? You can be like, may I remind you that I contracted someone to brutally remove their foreskin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell how much I care about them. I'm, not, I'm with you, Steve. I'm not anti-curse. And I guess in... No, I'm in, not anti-curse. In, in this platform that you have, for me, and as a guest... You know, I know it's, it's the outdoors. We're talking about fish and a lot of really cool and important stuff. I want to keep it classy, personally. I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should. I'm saying now and then it happens. People get upset. Right. I, my advice to them is just like... Uh, Water under the fridge. My, 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 it's this. It's this. There's a lot that goes in. This is my personal viewpoint. There's a lot that goes into parenting. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot that goes into parenting. We want to make our kids compassionate, resilient, tough, um, they, to have empathy, I think that you can achieve all those things whether they know about dirty words or not. Right, agreed. I don't think that them finding out about a naughty word is going to derail the whole plan. Right, I don't. And, and Tony, I have three of them. And Tony and Susie at school, they're already hearing it. You know, yeah. it's just not going to be what makes. They're not going to wind up in jail. The internet, forget it. We ain't the problem. Okay, go ahead. 
What were we talking? Oh, my you bad were swearing tattoo. About, you were yeah. swearing about something. Oh, I'm gonna get oh, yeah. a cursing again. <laughs> but my tattoo, yeah. So it's 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 BL on my ankle. It's the only one I have. But it stands for uh, the Brad name. Leone. That's right. No, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't stand for Brad Leone. It does. But like, there's like ten other kids that I went to school with that I grew up with, and we grew up in a neighbor uh, a lake community called Barry Lakes. And we all thought it was like this, like, yeah, like, you know, no one really messes with, you know, Barry, it was like our little gang. Like no one would mess with a Barry Lake guy. Dude, no one messed with it. We were the mountain kids, you know? So like Vernon, New Jersey is right where the, the Appalachian Trail kind of runs through. And that's where I grew up. And there was Valley Kids. And then there was Mountain Kids. And Mountain Kids, I mean, I don't know. Mountain Kids, they were, that's where it was at. You They'll know? slash your tires. You know, well, I don't know. Valley Kids were kind of criminals. but Oh, okay. But, but we were like, we did all like the hunting. And, I don't know. It was just very like tribal. Very like, you know, I feel so like. So that's, that's what that stands for. For Barry Lakes. And you didn't think that uh, it no. might not be a good idea because that's no. your initials? No, I, no, not really. I more like, you're like, oh, you idiots got my initials on your ankles. Like That was like the first like kid thing that I thought of. But uh, yeah, that went away and it was more like, oh, God, you have to tell everyone now that like. Oh, I, would you forget your name, Brad? Like, you know, it's like it's what people say all the time and just kind of explaining that. But it could it could be worse, you know? You know what I can't stop watching? Um, it's Alive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm watching an Italian, you have to read the whole damn thing, but uh, Gamora. Gamora. Years ago, Gamora was a movie about the Neapolitan crime syndicate, you know, in Italy. Oh, yeah. Napoli, brutal. So then they now do a, they did a series. Gamora. Really? I, I usually avoid that. series because I don't like getting that. It takes too much time. Oh, I love it, man. Airplane. Well, I, airplane you, you get fodder. ready to move on, but you can't. You want to go on to the, living your life, but you can't because you got to watch 5,000 episodes of something. Well, you fly a lot. What do you do on, on the planes? Yeah, I mean, I just can't quit, though. But it's, it's called Gamora. <laughs> Anyways, in it, there's a crime boss, and he gets a new messenger. He's in hiding, and he has a new messenger. And she's in the has... garbage removal business? They're into a lot, mostly narcotics. Okay. But they do a variety of things. He has a messenger, and she has a tattoo of a lioness on her arm. And he asked her, why do you have that tattoo? And she said, well, I got it when my father died. You have to read all this because it's an Italian. She said, I got it when my father died. That's what he called me. This means Leone. Well, he says to her, he says, if you were a real lioness, you wouldn't need that tattoo. Oh. And she burned it off. Burned it? With a hot spoon. Yeah, she did. And then said, who's the lioness now? Dude, I ain't So just pointing that. that out. She'd kill you and eat a pizza and feel fine about it. She pointed it out. You could get a propane torch and a hot sp- and a spoon. So you're saying burn, burn that thing, thing off. off right on this show. <laughs> Ooh. Right Tell me I show. won't. Let's go. Get we'll back. have him back get on. The blow he's ready. That's what a real Barry Lake kid would do. Damn yeah, sure. right. <laughs> get, the, get the boys in here so they can watch Dab. Oh, there we <laughs> go. Oh, my God. Uh, reason I bring this up, Spencer's got that brand new tattoo um, on his arm. Next appointment is in August. To get it off? No, no, no. <laughs> get a second one. Another tree? No. Well, what is it there, bud? Mm. It's a it's a state tree or I'm, something like that. I, oh, this this one is a Black Hill spruce. It grows in the Black Hills found in South Dakota and Wyoming. He's all proud of being from South Dakota. Very proud of it. Yep. Uh, check this out, Spencer. Mm-hmm. So these archaeologists have been looking at these sharpened turkey leg bones. That they discovered. Are you hip to this? Yes. That they found in Tennessee. Yeah, tell yeah. us. Tell us about it. Sharpened leg bone. Yeah, Spence will tell you. Uh, the needles date back to five thousand five hundred years ago to three thousand six hundred years ago. The age, the tools were used by Native Americans, and it brings back um, when they thought tattooing first occurred in but North you America. Established more than a thousand years. You haven't established that they were used for tattooing. 
Uh, go ahead. <laughs> okay. You got this. No, I'm going to hand it back over to you. In 1985, they unearthed these mysterious sharpened turkey bones. They have come to determine that they believe they were used as tattooing tools. Take it away, Spencer. Interest meters way up, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that Phil, won't get, Phil won't get them out. I know. That was good. That was a, a good insert, Steve. Now they, they think that tattooing is a thousand years older than what they previously thought. Hmm. Here in the U.S. In North America. You remember that Iceman from the, te- the Italian Alps? Oh, I thought you meant the killer. No, Otzi. Remember him? No. Oh, yeah. They found him. I- yeah, he had boot. He was frozen. He was thawing out of a uh, thawing out of a glacier, and he had like his boots were made of three different leathers. Right, right. Very like detailed. Dialed. He was heavily tattooed. Seven thousand years old. Whoa! In Italy. Now, do you think they used avian bir- or you know bird bones? Hollow because they're hollow, right? And they would pipe a little ink down there and just do little dots. Yeah, because the other thing that they found were. I think some shells that had some like ochre residue in there. So that, that was like your, your pigment, your dye. What's ochre? Oh, red ochre is, was like a very major kind of like trade item. You can still find it around. Because what is it? It's uh, oxi- iron oxide. Okay. It? Yeah. It's, it's a, a naturally occurring pigment. Okay. Um, but pretty much limited uh, to reds and, and blues, right? Reds and yellows. Reds and yellows. There you like go. orange... Orange, red, yellow. Uh, and yeah, it's like a pigment. What's funny, my kids found some one time turkey hunting and they didn't know about it, but they did with it what you're supposed to do. I come up and all their faces are yellow. <laughs> and they found it and like independently arrived at the idea that you would like paint your skin with it. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I still got the hunk they found. It's, it's kind of cool. Oh, it's That's pretty awesome. soft. It's like something. Yeah, and then another thing you do is you, you can pulverize it and mix it with water and use it as a paint. Hmm. And these turkey bones look sharp as hell. Oh, like you would yeah. earn that tattoo. Oh, I bet. Yeah, Do you but want to come like on you're... the show and have me tattoo you with a turkey bone? Ooh. Your tattoo needle this is going to take a very too, jack. This, this yeah. show is going to take a very jackassian. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys gonna, broke it's out. It's going to take on jackassian elements. Mm-hmm. When he burns his off and he gets a new one. <laughs> Maybe that's a new video series idea. Let me tell you what. If you guys all of a sudden broke out like this weird wooden box <laughs> that and filled with turkey bone needles and some like native pigments, I would get one right now with you. There you go. I would do it, Steve. Um, so the bones are pigment stained. They, uh, two turkey wing bones from the grave also bear microscopic wear and pigment residues, but lack sharpened tips while pigment stained seashells are thought to have held inky solutions. So the whole kit, a shell to put it in a, a a, a mechanism to deliver it. Now, do you think there was like everyone did their own or was there like the, the, the tat artist back in the day who had his little leather satchel full of stuff and like, you know, you called Tony the tat guy or I guess you went and he was just, I don't know. You know, they probably yeah, did it to yeah. themselves or like just a little small inner the, tribal. The, the neighborhood uh, yeah. artist. And then another question, since you guys are researching this a little bit, uh, I wonder how much like infection, I guess I don't know how you would know this, but like how much infection was prone when they were just like, oh, this is, this stuff's green. Let's put it in a... A bird uh, bone and start jabbing <laughs> myself with it. Like, seems like a good way to get an infection. I mean, they're more rugged. 
And you know, they probably more infected. And well, and there's probably they were probably more dialed in, right? They probably had. I'm just assuming, like they knew there was a type of leaf that they could put over it that like stopped infections. I mean, I'm romanticizing it. But yeah, I'm with you. I'd like to believe. I think getting this tattoo was like a, a seven out of ten on the pain scale, but this turkey bone that looks like a ten out of ten. Like, where, where are you getting your next one? Uh, I'm gonna fill up my arm. I'm gonna do a whole sleeve. Really? Really? It's wild. You should just so go you do your neck? Yeah, go neck. No, 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 not neck. Your face? No, <laughs> just the arm. Just this one arm. Because it's your little goal. Well, it's, I don't know. That it's a goal. Do you have a budget in mind? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I used to. I used to. Uh, Is your wife like, supportive? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. She I wants used to, you to look tougher. <laughs> sure. Hmm. Nobody will mess with me then. I used to uh, like the idea of getting a tattoo, but I could never like commit to something. And now, recently, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that like any idea I have, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get that tattooed. I'm going to get that thing tattooed. Are oh, you get rocks tattooed on your arm? Uh, I thought about a Fairburn agate, which like has some real like pretty distinct lines that you could actually tattoo. But like oh. the stuff that I collect, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing there that would uh, make for a good one-dimensional or two-dimensional piece of art if you if you let's say you found that the covid had been worse and it killed everybody but you <laughs> okay okay you're the only human on earth mm-hmm. would you get a tattoo great question oh, <laughs> uh, i wouldn't make this podcast yeah right um i don't know you'd have to do yeah. it yourself right sure but let's say there's one no there's one other guy a tattoo artist but you can't hang out with him mm-hmm you can go in there and get it, but then that's it. You can't talk to him ever again. Would you get a tattoo? Yeah, I think it's still satisfying you go, to you me. You go get a tattoo. Sure. No one could see it. Yeah, that's fine. That's what he's trying to gauge, right? Yeah, just you with you. How right. deep does that desire go? Yeah, I like it. Maybe it's just So you're something... not just doing it because you want people to see it. <laughs> I also, like, I'll, I'll sit here, I'll just look at it sometimes. So I like that part of it. Mm-hmm. I, not, it's it's entertaining to me. You didn't ask me, but I feel like if there was if there was no if I was the only person left, I'd be like tattooing the shit out of myself. I would like it'd be like my like Wilson like like ball. All of a sudden, I'd be like tattooing new friends on my thigh. And sure, yeah. Spencer, would you ever get that uh, BL tattoo on you? No, no. Come on, you ain't in the gang anyway, pal. Here's my question. You ain't tough enough. Okay, so your 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 arm is almost sleeved, Mm -hmm. but the designs you've chosen have left a gap of a certain size, right? So it's not filled in. Yep. At that point, could we do like a meat eater office type of fun thing where everybody gets the pick. puts in a legit drawing, mm-hmm. like into a bowl right. that fits those dimensions, Yep. and then you just randomly pick a design out. <laughs> oh, uh, that'd be fun. I don't that'd know. That'd be super fun. What do we get out of that? I feel like the, the better move is like having Steve get a tattoo. I'm very close to wanting a tattoo. Really? My wife's like, you, you missed that boat. No, no. Don't, don't listen no. to her. She's like, it's just too late. This this could be a money-raising situation of some sort. Oh, Placement. Man. Where yeah, would yeah. it be? I want to get a map of the country the one. with a turkey footprint everywhere I've oh, gotten that's right. that's my, right. yeah. my Royal Slam. Because <sighs> this next winter, I'm going to go get an oscillated or try, mm-hmm. and then I'll be a World Slam holder, and then I'm going to have tattooed Central America on there. I'm mm. with your wife. I, I, I take that. She thinks yeah, this is don't the do stupidest it. idea. It is. The I wouldn't do it. <laughs> She's untattooed. She's not tattooed. <laughs> that sounds like a really cool poster or yeah, like something just, you put yeah, like you in put the office. The yeah. Oh, so it's the tattoo idea you have a problem with, not the act of him getting a tattoo. No, I, I, for me, I guess like, I can't help but be selfish about it. Like I just always felt like, man, like six months, I'm not going to want to look at this anymore. Or like mm. it's going to piss me off. Or like, 
you know, there was a lot of things I really wanted to tattoo onto myself over the years. And like, I'm just really glad I didn't. There was a, a, a guy that there was a, when I was in college, there was a professor. And I remember overhearing him say to somebody, nothing looks better than a new tattoo and nothing looks worse than an old one. <laughs> My wife has, I think seven or eight tattoos. She has eight. Wow. Yeah. I asked her to rank them recently and the order goes from her most recent to her oldest mm. so there's there's mm-hmm. some of that at play yeah. for sure does she have one on her uh on her ass neck like her lower back no no her ass neck i've <laughs> <laughs> never heard that one before brad you uh you like to eat a lot of stuff and you're big into the food world but I noticed you're not, yesterday I noticed fishing, or two days ago when we were fishing, you're not sticky. You don't have a shtick because mm. someone proposed to you, you know, you can eat a salmon fly. No, I'm not a big you didn't. Guy. No, you didn't feel like you got to be the guy who eats crazy stuff. Oh, no, shut it right down. I have no problem saying, like, being comfortable. You're like, why would I eat a salmon fly? Yeah, that's a terrible idea. You know, if we were if we were lost in the, in the Montana mountains and, like, things were getting real sketchy and Brad's getting real hungry, um, <laughs> I'm gorging. I'm, I'm gonna, my stomach would look like those whitefish we cleaned. But, but you know, I, just for fun, just for novelty, you got the wrong So guy. you don't feel compelled to um, someone would be like, look at this. This thing's so old, it's rotten. You'd be like, oh, I'll eat it. No, that was I eat crazy stuff. No, that was no, never my thing. Never your um, thing. And I, it probably, how did you carve? Like, what is your thing? How do you, how'd you carve your own path? You know, it's been a hell of a ride, Steve. You know, it's like I didn't get into the food uh, business kind of in this scope as 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 far as like other than just like delis or small restaurants growing up and stuff like that uh, until I was about twenty seven or twenty eight. Um, when I, I jumped from being a carpenter and a uh, union glazer and just an overall, just, I've had a lot of different jobs, mostly in construction and stuff like that. Uh, until I was 27, I was living with these dudes out in this farmhouse in Northern New Jersey, closer to Delaware water gap and uh, just absolutely beautiful, but just didn't want to end up, I didn't want to go down that road. You know, I, I saw a lot of like, it was very easy Man, like another year, I would have had a kid. I would have bought some stupid house, and like I would be commuting an hour each way to the job. You know, like it's a very common story, and it's a fine story. But like this sounds sounds corny or whatever you want to label it. But I always felt like I always felt like I wanted to do something a little bigger, a little more. I, I always felt like there was something. You know, I don't know. I just wasn't gonna do that, and like mm-hmm. not to belittle that. Because you like, go to college and everything. No, yeah. I went. Well, I went for. Um, uh, uh, semesters, three semesters, um, for, to become a cop. And then I was just like, yeah, this ain't gonna work out. I had a hard time in school, you know, very, very interested in things, but just struggled with sitting there and just like the dumb repetition of just like, uh, I don't know. I just always bouncing off the walls, always was looking outside, couldn't wait to the bell rung kind of thing. Um, but like when I liked something, I, you know, got into it. But I just had a trouble with with organized school and just just the whole like schooling factory uh, that this country became where it was just like, all right, you're out of high school. Life's been crazy. You don't even know who you are. You got to go to college. What do you want to be? What do you want to be for the rest of your life? And it's just like, do you know, you know, like whoever? I don't know. So like it just became this, you know, man. Yeah. So I got into just doing construction, you know, parents kind of probably being disappointed and, you know, some pit in their stomach, like really worried, you know, like. Kind of just hanging out with, you know, good kids, but a lot of losers, a lot of drug addicts and stuff like that. And, um, you know, always gardening and always cooking <laughs> on the side. And then some the friends. The drug addicts were? No, me. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like, you know, I dabbled with the best of them, but like never always wanted to do something else, you know. 
And then uh, always gardening and cooking, no matter where I lived, you know, whether it was on some little weird rooftop or when we had that farmhouse, I turned this guy's old do dog kennel into a, a beautiful garden, you know, always growing the vegetables and was exposed to, to hunting and fishing. So I always had that like kind of in me, but then got out of it for a while, living in this farmhouse, doing construction, and then took a loan out uh, and just found an apartment on Craigslist in Brooklyn with about seven roommates. And I was, I rented, I had this room, it was 700 bucks. Oh, you took a, a loan out to rent an apartment? Well, I'm go to culinary school. Sorry, I left that out. Oh, okay. So there was a little culinary school uh, program, a little six month program in Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, so I got an apartment and you know, my girlfriend, who, you know, my wife now, she was, she was living in the city and like had a really cool job and had her own apartment and stuff. You How know? long you guys been together? <clears throat> About nine years. Oh, okay. Something. Wife? I thought you said. Well, yeah. So practically. I, I say okay. wife. <laughs> sure. or we, Semantics. We, we haven't had the the the, the wedding yet, uh, you know. We're but you're engaged. engaged. We got kids. I mean, You've we, been engaged for how many years? A bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Good, probably five. <laughs> but that's okay, you know. Uh, and yeah, so we went to that culinary school. Took a loan out, got at that apartment, uh, rented a room in this house with a bunch of strangers. You know, very New York, very whatever. And uh, everyone ended up being friends, and you know, still being friends with a bunch of the folks. Uh, but it was a how long was the culinary school? Program? Like seven, six months. Quick turn and burn. I'm not going to name names, but it, I didn't really learn but they, shit. But the, the goal is they're going to place you in a restaurant. You know what it was? I mean, like it's like most culinary. Like it's, it's just like colleges. It was like you know TV, uh, Food Network, and all these things. On everyone thought they wanted to go be a chef. Okay. But like working in a restaurant, man, is nothing like that. I mean, it's and it's hard work. It's nights and weekends. It's low pay. It's it's you're getting yelled at. You're you're usually in the weeds all night cooking, and it's just. It's never really been my way of cooking, even though I really enjoy food. So I took I went to this culinary school to kind of get into the food space and the food world outside of restaurants. Because it is like such a big I was kind of naive and like I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just like work for some company developing flavors. And I'm like, no, Brad, you need they're like food scientists and shit. Like they do like, you know, people that are doctors. Like you to come up with like cool ranch. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, but like it, it that kind of just those risk and ambition kind of blind yeah, ambition yeah. made me take those chances. And you know, it was a it's crazy. I don't know how it I don't really stop to think on why, but it's just like I did an internship. Uh, you had to, and it was at a restaurant or a, you know a media place if you could. And for so I just applied to uh, Bon Appetit magazine, and I was like, just you know, that's just, how you wound up there. Yeah, and uh, as an intern. Well, yeah, and it got, and then God, so then we I, need to get some interns over here. And man. then yeah, so I mean they they back when they did internships, and um, so it was you know they had a bunch of people before me, and I came in, I was this like lunatic, you know, who's been roofing houses before this, and like I was just like I was like this is great, like oh my god, I want to do this. You at know age what, I mean? what were you the intern? Twenty eight. Were you, the, intern. were you the oldest intern? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, like borderline, but I didn't care. Just like get me. You were a non-trans yeah, intern. People were like 19, you know, like intern stuff, you know, or 20, whatever people are when they get out of college. Just try like you just arm wrestle them all and stuff like that. To no, get I had like, I had a crazy haircut. I like shaved the sides and my hair was like down to my back and shit. Like I looked like a maniac. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a blast. And like, I, I liked working. I liked food. And I was curious, you know, I like to, they were like, you go, I was basically a gopher, you know, I did all the shopping and dishes, but it was New York. I got to go around, go to all different markets, meet, I'm learning all these different cuisines and, you know, and keyword just learning. And then, you know, when my, my stint as an intern was up, I never forget this. I heard the boss at the time and some other, some other Bob, and they were like, we need to hire someone for Brad spot. And I was just like, 
Got, like, should we get some like young kid who's just like really fired up or like someone who's like a little more like seasoned and experienced in like media that we can and writing and stuff that we could hire and i was like guys hire me hey, you can pay me whatever just get me a foot in and that's what happened and then i just uh you know i just between my personality and work ethic and you know at that time there was no video uh i was hired as a test kitchen assistant which was really just a glorified dishwasher uh, for I think it was like $35,000 is what I started at in New York. So I was working at night at restaurants and stuff. And uh, eventually, like, food, I started, it was test kitchen assistant. And then I became test kitchen manager, kind of like running the whole, uh, you know, like all the sourcing, all the budget, doing recipe development and testing and stuff like that. And it was great, you know. And and then, you know, this is about six years ago. And then, uh, and then, there was no video platform, like at all, really. There was a little bit of like overhead hands and pans, 20 seconds. No one's watching anything long, you know? And like, all right, whatever. And we were always, you know, we being Bon Appetit, I felt like they were always just trying to do catch up to like what everyone else was already doing. Yeah. Like, what's BuzzFeed's doing this formula? Let's kind of just ride on that. And sure, it worked. And eventually they started like, we were all about chasing these Facebook numbers. It was all about Facebook. They had this like new platform. I forget what it was, but they were trying to do like this video thing. And that's all we were doing. We were getting like 100,000 views on Facebook. And it was like, man, it was like awesome. Like they were going to fire me. And now like we're doing this. And, uh, and then YouTube started to happen. And, you know, and they started doing a little bit longer uh, format kind of stuff. Like a, they wanted to get into more like personality driven kind of uh, videos. And they sent us to uh, a few folks that were working in the test kitchen at the time to this lady on the Upper West Side who like, she was a little older, just like, like very like from a movie, just like, I feel like she was like, a, a, you know, she must've been like 60 or something. And like, she was like, she was like training us to be like news anchors. You know what I mean? Like this like presence and like the way, and I'm Over like, to you, Dave. Yeah. She was just like very like LA, New York. Like she was like, she was a nut. Right. And um, we got back to that and they did like these mock-up videos. And I remember the creative- oh, They were training you to be a media personality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Media training. And what was, was their biggest garbage. piece, just out of curiosity, what was the biggest piece of advice they had? Oh, I don't even remember Probably a word bad. she said. Yeah. yeah, like, I have smile with your eyes or some shit. I don't know, you know? And can I tell you, can I, can you, do you mind if I tell you an interesting story? Please do. Mine's not. I met my wife. I met, no, no. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I'm just trying to dovetail. I'm trying to dovetail Please, on I'm it. I'm joking. I'm trying to dovetail onto it. I met my wife through work. All right. Nothing wrong with that. So, no, no. But when I sold my first book, I sold my first book to Miramax. And she worked for, um, she used to work for Har Bob and Harvey Weinstein. Okay. They, they made the news a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, Harvey has. Uh, and, and they bought my first book long before sure, sure. any scandals. He oh, yeah. Um, and I went there to, and I went to meet the, the team there. All right. Publication. At team. Miramax, where she worked. And it was the first time, that's how we met. Okay. Those are you. In a business meeting. Okay. We met in a business meeting. Oh, amazing. And she later said, because people were talking about pitching me for TV segments. All right. She left the meeting and said to people, way too rough around the edges. No way. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. That's it. And that was kind of me, you know, just like <laughs> super, you know, like raw, not like this is it. It's got one gear and it's Brad. And like, I'm going to put it into Brad. And that's amazing. That's how you met your wife. Uh, so how'd that turn into like a date? Oh, we knew each other for quite a while. Oh, you did? Okay, cool. Yeah. And then I went to a different publisher. I went to Random House. All right. And then I emailed her to ask her if I could ask her out. Good move. 
or if it would be like uh, untoward. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it worked out. Oh, yeah. Happily married for more longer than most. Oh yeah, we've been married a long time. That's amazing, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of like with the media training, that's where it was left. It was like, I remember the creative director at the time, um, he was just like, I don't know what that is, but like, it's not Brad. Just like, that sucks. So they tell you like, be more... They didn't really tell they me They didn't much. have any advice. So that kind of like stopped. And then... Um, that's got to be a... Is that profession still around? Media training? Oh God, probably. I'm sure someone's scamming someone. But I mean, and I shouldn't belittle that because like, you know, I'm you sure watch some goofy news show where they send someone out to do a piece about how there's yeah. a hurricane happening somewhere. Someone's teaching, and they got their hands like in that way, and they do their gestures, and it's very controlled, like because because they know that it's, it's head and shoulder shot. Right. So how can I hand gesture to keep it in frame? Right. Right. Stuff like you that. You know. And like and I, over to you, Dave. Like they got yeah. like someone taught them all that. Oh, big time. And like I'm, I'm sure there is a lot of really good things like that, and I'm just kind of a nut. But like, what started the work for me was just like a creative director was like, Brad's always in the test kitchen down there. He's always got some projects. He's fermenting stuff, and they were, you know, <laughs> and they were like, uh, there was this guy Vinny who I we started the show with. His, oh, same Vinny, no, different, different Vinny. Oh, different Vinny. Oh, how do you know all the Vinnies? Vinny. I see he's coasting, man. I don't know. My cousin Vinny, everything. You know? Dude, if you sent me out right now to go bring a Vinny back here, I'd be gone <laughs> two weeks. There's no Vinnies in Montana. Are they still making Vinnies? Like, is that still like a baby name? That... Yeah, they're still making Vinnies. His yeah. name's Vincent, right? Yeah, yeah, Vincent, Vincenzo. <laughs> I call him all types of silly stuff, but um. Yeah, so they were like, just go follow him around with a camera. And like, that's what I loved. It was just me, no sound guy. No, it was just you learned one how to film. camera. I guess, you know, and like, I learned about editing. And, uh, and they just, you know, they just filmed it around. And we put out this like 20 or 15 minute video about kombucha. And it sat on a hard drive for like a year. They're like, we, this, is, this is horse shit. We can't put this on the internet. You know, like this guy can't even speak English. It's his only language. And he mumbles and, you know, he dropped the kombucha on the floor. And they were like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And like, thank God, because it kind of, that's how it all started. And it just became like. And it worked. Not only did it work, it kind of like, you know, <laughs> reformatted how like they did video. Like all of a sudden it was just like, let people be people. And yeah. like, it just became like, yeah. it's very, and like for me, I always wanted to make it like, listen guys, I can't, I'm not an actor. Like I, I can do this. I can just do me. And like it turns out, that's like really valuable. Yeah, you know? they'd be like, <laughs> "We're here in Memphis to dis to <laughs> discover the great barbecue world here in Memphis." Yeah, and, and they walk and fast forward into the barbecue place. And they, I guess, like, what, what, yeah, what becomes like when they not to like toot my own horn, but if you have like people, and I mean, all you guys the same, like where you have some skill in a bunch of categories, but then you can also just be like good on camera. Like camera freaks a lot of people out. Mm. I'm sure you've seen it. Like the one that sticks out to me the most, we were shooting a video in Hawaii about poke and we went into this one supermarket that all the locals got like that was the spot you know yeah and uh the lady she was amazing off camera i mean she was you know chatting and busting jokes i think she was punching me and then as soon as that red light turned on man she just clammed up yeah i was just like i, I don't get think someone it, else yeah i don't think when i when i point this out it's not a comment on anyone because mm -hmm. i don't think more of people who can be on camera i don't think less of people who can't be on camera like i don't view it as a i don't view it as an admirable no you're a psycho if you're good on camera yeah. you're a psycho well I, I don't i don't i don't view it as an admirable right. admirable quality right. and i don't view not wanting to do it as a negative it's just like to me it's like it's like whether you like uh it'd be the same to me like whether you like bananas like i don't sure. give a shit whether you like bananas or not like right. i'm not going to hang out with you more or less or whatever depending on your feelings on bananas sure but i found that 
Um, there's people that they're per- they have their personality in normal life, and you put a camera on them, it goes away, which is not good on camera. Right. Or another one shows up. Right. Camera All of a sudden, person. there's a different personality shows up. Right. And that's no good. I don't think so. It's like to, to, it's the the people that you do it and nothing happened. Yeah. They didn't. A new one didn't show up. The normal one didn't go away. Right. But somehow they just continue right on. And like, and they're not going to teach people that. No. And like for acting, you know, like Daniel Day Lewis or whatever his name is. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that kind of stuff. But like for what we're doing, I feel like you you really need that like authenticity when it's more like journalism in a sense or like mm. documentary style kind of storytelling yeah one, yeah one thing i like about i mean what you were talking about kind of set the template for what's been going on with food shows on the internet for a while now which is not only to not shave off the rough edges but accentuate them like oh, what's yeah. charming about this person what's imperfect about them i love how like your show or maddie matheson you call attention to the fact when you screw up or you stutter or you pronounce something in like an odd way and it's it's charming and it's fun to watch and yeah, yeah. it's that human element right and that, yeah. I think that's what's missing in in or has been missing for a long time in food you know or and and even like I guess you can even tie that into like food and hunting and fishing you know it was always just like a very like stereotyped image and like to be able to just kind of you know everyone and all types of people are into it you know I'm buying it yeah all right good <laughs> <laughs> uh, so talk about it's alive like what tell people about the show. Yeah, so I mean, it started with just in the kitchen fermentation, you know, in the test kitchen back when we shot video there, and um, and you know, and it was just you know things that I was into, sauerkraut. That's where but I. Some, but uh, what I mean is, someone had to at some point time, at some point they said, "Okay, now you be the person." What do you mean? Like it's not Vinny, it's you. It was always me. There was it was always just me talking to the camera. No, but I'm saying like when you went out and made the thing about. I thought you were saying you, with a camera, followed Vinny to drink kombucha. No, Vinny followed me. Vinny was the oh, camera guy. Sorry. Yeah, Vinny was the camera guy. Yeah, Did you was, understand that? Yeah. Because I've read I'm very confusing. I, I, no, I got that. But I also read Chess, did you understand that? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah these guys Did, did you really? Yeah. Spencer, you understood that? Yeah, everyone. Well, then how come when I said, you know how to use a camera, no one said, that's not what he said? I didn't hear that. Because I actually, <laughs> I made a mental note to take that out. <laughs> Amazing. So God, am I that fragile? You can't. <laughs> like, am I considered to be like that? Uh, no, because I didn't need to. Because it would be an easier thing to just let, like, you you finish your sentence. She's a pro, Steve. And then I'm like, I'm cutting this out, and then we're going to glue But it were you here. worried about so how I didn't understand the story? No, no, because it was just like a two second mention, then we moved on. Cow, man. Chester, how would you rate Steve's hosting ability <laughs> right now? <laughs> These these are the rough edges we're going to keep in this podcast. Well, yeah. I'm telling you what, man. If I've cultivated an atmosphere that that, that, that when I that, that, I love it when people screw up so I can point it out. Do I thrive on that? I'm like, ah, Chester, that's not right. What this was is a result of people more interested in the story, so it wasn't going to be conducive to be like, whoa, 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 Steve. Yeah, yeah like why'd you? Yeah, you yeah. could have said like what you just said was really stupid I because just, was like oh. this stuff will buff out. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I just Sorry, agree with man. You all no, the time. In, in your defense, right. Steve, I, I I don't know how I'm a video host. I'm very I don't, I'm not a very good talker. Yeah, but you dude, know, I like, like at least should be able to track a story. Oh, I struggle myself. Ten yeah. out of ten producing by Corinne. <laughs> yeah. And, she's over there being like, "Oh, I'll take that out so he doesn't look stupid." The amazing. Not, not going to interrupt Brad. We all need a Corinne. Let me tell you. Okay. Oh, I God. thought you were filming <laughs> Vinny. 
No. So then I was like, well, how did it get to be that Vinny's filming you? Okay, I see where but you're But you coming. said with a camera, and that can also be like, you're good with the camera, as in you're good in front oh, of... In right. proximity right. to the camera. Yeah. So you could have left it in, and people might have... Yeah. 3% of people <laughs> would have thought I meant that. Maybe. Yeah. Three is generous, but <laughs> I'm really sorry, man. No, I don't be at all. I have yeah. zero. Not so offended. that was the birth. Yeah, and it just kind of became. They started organically. It was great. Like on paper, I should not. It shouldn't have worked. You know, like every one of the bobs was like, <laughs> "Nope, this is fucking stupid." Pardon my French kids. I'm sorry. What's a what's a? I, I get it, but what is a bob? Their, oh, their name is because their, their name's not Bob. It's just, no, it's just what I call the boss Hunter. I call it the boss's bobs. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think it was from like office space or something, right? Okay. The bobs. Yeah. You know, so all the all the all the bobs, I just call them the bobs. Okay. Keeps it keeps them impersonal. I can make fun of them without making fun of them. Because you're not hurting your friends' feelings. Yeah, they can't yeah. fire me quite, you know. So and then all of a sudden they're like, wow, this guy, this guy of all people. Yeah, so what's great is that it's just kind of for me anyway, and I guess for everyone, is that it was just organic and it just kind of grew its own thing. It was never like a it wasn't developed, you know, like mm -hmm. like Conde, like whatever. They got like, you know, a group of folks that come up with ideas and strategies and what we name it and what, what you know, the the formulas of shows. And this one was just like all right, well, it's, it's it's continuing to grow. Like, let's just, why try to fix it if it's like, it was just happened organic, which was beautiful. And like, really, I'm fortunate because it allowed me to get into things very untraditional to the magazine and brand. Like, I am definitely the first person to ever shoot, kill, clean, and cook something for content ass. Like, well, I'm bummed because that, that was my next question. Yeah, beat ya. And yeah, definitely had, I mean, I was the first video talent I think they ever hired. You know, was that, that was, was it new. awkward? Did you have to go in one day and be like, so listen. Oh, yeah. There's this thing. Well, I mean, they it's knew what it was. Fishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, fishing's like the easy one. Like, we went and shot some birds, you know, and like, and did a Did pick. that turn into a big old conversation? No, and I was like, listen, guys, let's just take a risk. And trust me, like, outside of this Manhattan bubble, it's a big thing. And we all know someone who does do it. And, you know, what the way No I, resistance or no, like, concerted no, resistance. No, it took a room full of lawyers. And I'm sure every you know, the, some of the bobs were like, this is terrible. <laughs> but, like, you know, we ended up, they let me do it. And it was almost like, it's all about how we package it. And, then, like, the way I said it was like, Listen, if you, this bothers you and you, and maybe you shouldn't eat meat, you know, but if you do eat meat and it bothers you, like that's a problem because like this, it doesn't happen any better or cleaner, you know, when you go and buy your pork chop with no face in a plastic wrap pack, you know, and like, and that's fine. I'm okay that you do, you know, and like, but like realize like me doing it and cleaning it and showing the process, if that bothers you that much, then again, maybe you shouldn't probably eat meat, you know, like why, like you got to be okay with the dirty work, mm -hmm. you know, and at the end of the day, you know, and we got a great response from, you know, the vegan and vegetarian uh, uh, fans. Uh, and it was all about like, listen, no one wants, I, no one except for the, the Bob's making the money off it. No <laughs> one wants factory farms. No one wants, you know, poorly treated and farmed animals and slaughtered. And you go drive by some of them big feedlots. It's disgusting. Like that's not food anymore. You know, that's just the industrialization of the food chain is where it all kind of started to crumble. And that's where, you know, I honestly don't recall getting any negative. Like there was a couple like stupid comic people just like trolling, but like 99.9% .9 of the stuff that I've done has just been super positive. Yeah. And it's just the packaging, you know, it's just how you word it. And we should get a feed. I, I want to get a good feedlot person on. Yeah, I would interest level up. Yeah, people like to take cracks at feedlots, but I mean, I but and, and you know, I get it, but I, I feel like there's a you know systems come about 
in certain ways. Well, man, this I've only. Driven... I don't want to. We don't need to start debating feedlots, but I'd like to get a good feedlot person. Yeah, and you should because I'm not. I had I had the reference that I gave you out of. Um, yeah, I got I got you covered. <laughs> it's just you know it's like I just want to understand. For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it comes down to what it's just a matter of of me personally. I'm not into you know cows just being you know. They, from what I've been taught, is that they are fed a bunch of grain and it's super unhealthy for them. And you know, people don't get, like the looks of it. And it gets really no, I don't like the looks of it. And I don't know is the is the cattle super healthy? I don't know. I would love to learn more about that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you're driving with your kids down the road and they see any um, anything around like an industrialized oh, meat yeah. production, they don't warm up. Mm-mm. Right. Well, they're they're assaulted with a real serious smell, yeah. which doesn't like set set sure. their minds in a spot where they're like, "I'm super interested in what's happening out here." Yeah, that yeah. And, and the visual, you know, the the yeah. the optics of it, you know, the ones that I've gone past. I think it was in Nebraska or something when I was little. Was it was just like mountains of cow. Uh, poop, manure, manure. Yeah. Thank you, and just mountains of just. Miserable looking animals on top of them, just you know, waiting in line to, I guess, go get just run through the, you know, the. And I get it, you know, people they, that's how they feed the world. And you know, my parents growing up, were they buying, you know, farmers market amazing whatever uh, meat? No, man, my mom was buying Tyson buy one get one free, you know, managers special, you know. Yeah, like, that's what you're telling oh, me. Yeah, like, yeah, if it sure, didn't man. have the orange sticker, yeah, on man, it, I was like. <laughs> This is going to go bad in three days. Yeah. Oh, when I was just I was just home visiting my mom, and she wanted me to grill some chicken one night. And she pulls out this, like, never-ending tray. <laughs> this of, no, no, she, she's not into that. Phone. She's not into that, to her credit. She's into drummies. Oh, oh yeah. Even but it was, like, cheaper. 30 chickens drumsticks all lined up, you know? Oh, yeah. But it's just, yeah, they're not coming off of, you know, Uncle Bob's farm. Yeah, right, right. That's why there's a shortage right now. Wing, right? Wingstop uh, has, like, changed their whole marketing around now they're serving thighs because like everything else during COVID, there's a shortage of wings in the world. Hmm. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, only, only two on a bird, right? You know? I mean, yeah, that's right. It's really... That, that is hilarious. Really appreciate it. Right? In Wisconsin, um, a, a good example of the big feedlot cows, like kind of a negative look is when I was growing up, there used to be a ton of small little dairy farms, you know, like... 200, 300 acre farms. They got 40 head of cows. They got this little dairy barn. They're actually out in the pastures. They bring them in morning and night to milk. Making your kids get up at two in the morning to milk those cows before they go to the bus stop. Oh yeah, you don't want to be a dairy kid. They they practice good um, crop techniques like strip cropping for erosion. But now you rarely see a mom and pop dairy farm anymore except a couple small organic ones. And it's all these huge, massive barns packed full of cattle. They rarely get outside. They're not practicing good strip cropping techniques, which in that I mean like on all the little rolling hills in Wisconsin, it's good to mix up your crop from like corn to alfalfa, back to corn to beans, because you get a different root system in there. Fighting erosion. Yep. Yep. And soil health. You know, this is. What you're saying is, is I'm glad you brought that up, man, because it's a major problem, you know, across yes. the country. Yeah, and it's it's set, it's just a little sad to see in that area because it was it's nice to see the mom and pop farms making it, and now you go and you see a two thousand, three thousand, four thousand head of cattle farm, and uh, all these old little red white barns are 
just you know rotting away yeah i was at a livestock auction with some cattle ranchers one time like cow calf operation guys and i remember we were, they were selling they were selling animals at the auction and i remember someone was unloading a load of cows and they expressed like disgust about the cows that were getting offloaded. And these are not like soft men. But they kind of had like a, Ugh, uh, how could you do that? And you know, when I, when I, I, I'm not trained to look at that kind of stuff that well. I'm like, what? What? And they're like, milked out dairy cows. And they were kind of like offended by the condition of these animals coming off. And these are, these are people who are in animal husbandry. So there's more to it. I think it's easy for people not in animal husbandry, not in farm and ranch, to come in and, you know, like come in like a dilettante and condemn this and condemn that. But I mean, I was sitting there with people who'd been in production their whole lives who had a very strong condemnation about animal husbandry practices of people now were these, it's, a, it's an interesting subject these, man were these beat up cows coming from a small farm or a big farm no they were coming from a big mill we okay. were close okay. to it was where a lot of milked out dairy cows go from big production places and they go into fast food burger that's what they're saying that that's where all those animals are destined sure. for but they were commenting on just how like the, the broken down Physical. quality of the animals which to them was indicative of um yep indicative of like kind of like the, the the cycling practice and and it just became you know and it's like do you need tomatoes every day of the year do you need do i need there's nothing special anymore like if you ask my six-year-old he would say no well fine <laughs> strawberries you know like whatever you would say you know, yes you know of course you know but like there, there's something to be said about like waiting for things to be like happen naturally right or like, in season you know, and I think that can, that, that applies to that too as well. You know, like, do you need, and like, sure, listen to me, I guess. Right. But like, do you need to have beef? I don't need to have, A, I don't eat it every day, but like, there's something nice to be able like, all right, yeah, it's, it's, this is the time of the month when like beef's around here and like it's, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like just well, that I recipe I made last night for the, the agua chile, mm-hmm. like it's cucumbers, right? And there's like no good cucumbers around here. Like, I don't care where you buy them. I'm not, not against technology. Definitely not in my garden. I'm not against technology. And those things, those cucumbers were probably grown in a greenhouse in Mexico. Right. And I, like, I wanted to make that recipe, so I bought those cucumbers. Sure. And all I could think is, like, you know, this is good. Can't wait to try this again. If the practice makes the... sense, I, I can get behind it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I saw a tomato farm outside of Detroit one time. We did a video. And it was, I'm talking square acreage of indoor tomatoes. And they was just all... Or, you know, it's organic and just dialed in. And as far as like, you know, it was all solar panels and like, sure. I mean, if you're making a good product and it may, I'm not against technology, it's the only chance we have, you know, but like localizing a little bit and just that whole massive, just like the big bobs running the, you know, big food game and just kind of that industrial treating it like it was cars. Like we did everything else in this country, you know, faster, more cheaper. And we just strip that down. You know, and not everyone's hunting and, you know, isn't going to, isn't going to solve world hunger, you know, but like, I think just localizing. No, I like to point out if every American killed a deer next year, we'd be 200 million deer in the hole. Yeah. (laughs) That's insane. Well, how many? Just ain't going to happen. What is the deer? Of course. Well, what is the deer population? There's like a hundred million of them or something. Is there? Well, isn't there? 
Right. Not I'll say in 60, you. but I, I don't know. Well, you'd be in a bigger hole. Yeah. You'd never climb out of it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was recently doing an interview for a documentary about, um, I was doing an interview for a documentary about buffalo. Mm-hmm. Not the town, but bison, the animal. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of like thinking about the extermination, near near annihilation of the herds. Oh, yeah. And the fashionable number nowadays is there was maybe about 32 million bison at the time of European contact. Yep. And I kind of got to f- trying to find a way to find, to, uh, to put that in perspective. This country, we slaughter more cattle every year than there were buffalo on the landscape at the time of European contact. Oh, I believe that. They kill about, I think they're killing about 39 million a year in this country. Look how much. So then it pigs. puts in perspective, like people are like, how could they have, you know? Yeah. The U.S. Uh, the U.S. population is 328 million. Yep. The U.S. deer population is 38 million. Hmm. So right. it would be hmm. uh, three, whole, whole, yeah. 300 million short. Since we're pulling up little fun facts, look up how many pigs are slaughtered in oh, the U.S. Oh, yeah. Not as many as cows, More. right? Oh, it's like, oh, in the world, it's like a billion. Oh, in the something. world. Or even in the U.S. I bet you it is more than than cow. 130 million hogs. Jeez, Lou. Wow. And that's, it, uh, oh, it looks like global. That's, no, Don't give in, me no global in, numbers. That's in not 2019 global. in the United States. How many? 130 million. Yeah. Global will make you throw wow. up. It doesn't make me throw up. No, but I mean it's it's a lot of animals. Like I uh, like, like I, should, I should be the only guy that gets a slice of bacon. Oh, yeah, oh, you they... get China in the game and other you know big big countries that are just cranking them out. I mean, sure, I, I'm not against people eating it, right? Who are we to just eat them? But like, you know, everywhere across the world, you know, we're not the worst. You know what I mean? Like, no, we're not the worst, but we're the among the richest. So I think like to come in and be like, I you know, I don't like your people's numbers. I'm talking about practice. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I think bad practice happens everywhere. Sure, sure as hell happens here, uh, but you know that must it happens globally. Yeah, so. we can afford, and it's not a bad thing. We can afford to be very finicky mm-hmm. about what we eat, and, and it, I think it's important to keep in mind a lot of people do not have that luxury. But yeah, and it, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, a lot of people don't have if good food's too expensive, and that's our that's our government's fault. I think, you know, I, the way it's all been systemized, you know, it does, I don't think it need food, like, food is expensive and it's only getting more expensive. But like, like my mom and like most people's growing up, they could only afford the, the what the, the big system made available. Yeah. Because the Bobs are making money, Steve. Yeah. You know, and like, I think that's the big change that not to get all crazy on you guys, but I think that's how that, that's oh, I don't think change. you're getting crazy. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a rich field of inquiry. Yeah. I don't. I don't think we need to. Um, I don't think we need to sit here and exactly have the same no. vision on it. No, of course. I'm not that committed to my vision. Well, that's that's a beautiful. Because I don't understand it as thoroughly as I'd like to. Listen, and, and as long as we all have an open mind, right? Because as soon as some person, this is it, and that's then you know that's when we have problems. And like the, that's the fact when I that go we, like, yeah, I don't really care what this guy says. Yeah, that's when. He, <laughs> well, Brad, our next guest. Uh, <laughs> you know, but have an open By conversation. God, this you know, that's what this country no should be. Other way. You know, that's what this that's what this country what makes it great is that we should be able to have conversations that we don't necessarily agree on, right? That's how we get that's how we get somewhere. And I could be hypocritical real fast because I like I sure like hunting turkeys around feedlots and I sure like hunting deer in uh, farmers cattle pastures, so Duck really, is a really real good that. one at a Listen, feedlot man, too. Hippo- <laughs> yeah. It's like you can get you can get um so afraid of hypocrisy that it shuts you down. But, but I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's 
You hunting by your feedlot, that's great, man. You get to shoot your turkey and there's a lot of them. But what about like, the bigger picture, like all the runoff from about the water waste that's coming off of those things? Like at that point, I'm like, fuck your turkey. What do you think of that? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's yep, all right. Yep, yep. I could find Woo! the turkey. I'm comfortable with it. Listen, I'm, I'm going to change the subject right yeah. now, but not because I'm, I'm, not because I'm uncomfortable. Good, me neither. When, someone, when you think of an idea, how do you know what fits into your, uh, like, what is, how do you know when something's right for you? Because you're talking about going to a tomato place. What do you mean if something's right for you? Okay, me? like, like visiting a tomato place, that's interesting to me. No, like. Catching mountain whitefish, that's interesting to me. What's not interesting to you? Oh. I don't know, hatred and negativity. I mean, like, no, as I mean, far as, for, like. A, uh, food ideas. Nothing, man. I don't mean like I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily traveling to come, you know, eat the you know the biggest bug, but like just like normal. I shouldn't say normal, but like vegetable. You know, adventures and food and like what you know the people behind food. That's kind of like mm-hmm. what really gets me going. Could you see a path toward doing a thing? I'm not trying to plug his place, but would you be like, oh, they grow mushrooms and make pickled mushrooms? I'm gonna do an episode about that. Oh, 100, percent man. I we. No, did I'm a, not pitching Chester. I would love to go. Chester, Chester's coming with. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I just gotta get the Bob's to sign off. And you I, gotta recreate that Chester the Tester scene. Oh, oh like a flashback. Be right and, it'll be a black and white flashback yeah. of a little kid. Can Chester play himself? He's got, got a sippy cup in one hand and a mushroom in the other. Make it a little Scorsese like, so he's got like Bobby socks on. And if Conde <laughs> won't produce it for it's alive, we we need to do it for a, for a meat eater thing. Because uh, oh, I would do. It, yeah, that's I, amazing. I have a question for you about kind of like your own or maybe more like the mainstream industry's red lines around uh, preparation of, of food that's not, you know, it's like pig, pig and cow aside mm-hmm. and kind of our idea about like what is okay to eat and what's weird and what's gross to eat. You cooked, Spencer, you cooked up crow last year and badger as well. Was that a, I unfortunately missed those, those days. Yeah, yeah, all about but, it. Yeah, do you have thoughts about that and what, where you think we may push the biodiversity the i'm all about it because you know, it's it's funny you know it's what we 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 like you know pigs you know we can kill 200 million of them no 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 problem keep it going right but like you talk about like cooking a dog or something and it's just like cancel that guy you know like no one wants you, <laughs> nobody wants you eating dogs or no, house cats no or, they do not or robins like I kind of want to eat a robin, you know, and like <laughs> I heard, I, I would, I would try dog too, I guess, and I love dogs, you know, like it's one of my spirit animals, but like it is, it's funny the things we like. This is food, and that's not right, like, eating right, a horse. Right. Big no no here. Well, let's say you went. Let's say you thought this. Uh, let's say you thought, man, I want to go to, I want to do an episode of It's Alive, and go hear them out. I'm going to talk to a veterinarian. I'm going to go to a, a industrial feedlot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would, t- would someone tell you not to? I'm sure. Uh, someone from like uh, the Bobs? Yeah, the Bobs. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, the problem with me is like I could find that to me. That's an amazing topic. I, there isn't many things I can't get into. Whether or not I fundamentally think it's like let's expose it and kind of like see, you know, more of like a journalistic aspect or something I'm obviously into like going tuna fishing, right? But within that, the fun is also like the education, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, Sorry, what was the question? Well, I was just trying to figure out like how of all the things in the world, how do you decide what fits you? Like what's interesting to you? What you what do you want to make content about? What do you want to shine a light on? 
the people behind food. And for the longest time, it was always just, you know, I feel like for the past decade, probably even more, right? It was always just been the chef, you know? So that, you think about the people, the folks. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a, it's just a universal language, like music, you know, food. It's a, if the food's great, it's delicious. I freaking love eating. But it's just as much as, you know, going and catching the fish with you and smoking them at your house and stuff like that, you know what I mean? As it is to just, just eat them. It's, for, it's, it's got to be, it's got to have that human element. And, like, I can find the creative the ideas are never the problem. I think there's, it's kind of endless. We could probably, I could probably come up with 10,000, you know, if we're going global, it's kind of endless. Yeah. It's more just like, who's going to pay for it. What's your favorite episode of it's live? <laughs> uh, you know, I hate favorites, you know, when the, in, in every, in every category, you know, like it's like my least favorite. What's but, like your 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can answer the question uh, oh. for sure. I mean, the one to Alaska was, was absolutely amazing where we went up and I mean, hey, it was my first time or no, it was my second time up there, but we went, we went crabbing and we took a little seaplane and it was just, you know, it's Alaska. It's huge. It's beautiful. Met some, you know, just amazing people, ate some great food. Um, the trip down to when we, I went with uh, guitar chocolate out of San Francisco, we did a really cool three part video where we went to South America and we just did the whole chocolate production, uh, which is a fermented product. Chocolate production. Yeah, chocolate production. Huh. So we went down with these farmers who were the nicest people in the world. Just like, you know, living in, you know, in, in the middle of the jungle with, you know, in just a very, very simple home, uh, you know, no windows and stuff, you know, just like, and just then, I mean, would give you the shirt off their back and they're, they're farming. I've never heard anything like it. We were down in the jungle, like collecting these cacao pods and it got quiet. We were like getting like the mics ready and stuff. And all you heard was just like this in, in like just surrounding the world was just like this. And it was just like billions of mosquitoes everywhere. You know, we had to take malaria pills and stuff, but it was just seeing this whole process where it was this insane pod. I don't know if you know what it looks like, but it's just like this cacao fruit pod. And it's got these like alien egg seeds inside with this like white mucus that surrounds them. And inside is just that raw, that cacao nib or that, you know, the, the, the seed. And then they ferment them in these, these big bins. Uh, it's just out in the temperature covered in banana leaves. And it gets so hot. You had to go and like turn them. Yeah. And, like you had to put gloves on because it was burning your hands. Cockroaches coming out of it and stuff, you know, like, <laughs> bugs like this. And I'm, just, I'm not a big bug guy, you know, I'm just like, oh shit. And I'm stirring this stuff up with my hands. And, you know, they didn't give me gloves. They should have. But, like, this, there was, like, an acid reaction. My hands were, like, like, a little pale for the next few days. And it's like it was like a burn from in that, like, heavy, heavy fermentation. And then after they ferment that, like, sweet goop off it, then we laid them out and sun-dried. They, like, sun-dried them. That's when you, you get this, just like, what becomes, like, uh, when you crack that, it's that cacao nib yep. that people put in there, you know, whatever. And, uh and then from there, you know, we followed the bean back into like the co-op, the market. And that, that's like the tradable commodity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where it's all happening down there. And all these farmers bring them to the co-op. They're bags of dried cacao uh -huh. beans, right? Or so, you know, there's the nice sun-dried ones. And then, uh, and then there's the ones that like they dry in these like big diesel things. And they're like not as quality, right? So we went with, uh, with the guy who was doing the good, the good work. And we followed them to the co-op and it was like all these crazy colorful bags. And then from there they go to, we went to the San Francisco factory where they, they toast them, they grind them up, turn it into, you know, then it becomes, start becoming familiar. You see cocoa powder, cocoa butter, and then like little chips and big blocks start coming out and stuff. And it's just oh, an amazing, cool. amazing yeah, yeah. process. And, you know, seeing the whole thing and just something that like to come back and kind of answer your question, just like, I love making videos that like demystifies or like shows like like something like like this soy sauce or the the pickled ginger like you some people go in even seltzer you know you go into the supermarket you get it 
But man, there's like usually generations of information and hard work and all types of stories just for this, you know? And yeah. It, it can be applied to anything, so. As long as someone still wants to make videos, I'm going to have to, you know, one day start making them on my own or something. But, like, I'll, I'll, start, I'll do this for as long as I can. I was in a, in a remote area of the Philippines one time, and there was people drying rice. But the only place to put it out to dry it was on the road. Oh, yeah. But there's so little traffic. Like on blankets? Yeah, that we'd come, come around the corner now and then, and they'd be like, ah, damn it. Yeah. And you had to stop. And they'd, like, very begrudgingly rake it all off the road. Oh, yeah. And then you drive through, and then they'd... Pissing them off. Spread it back out, man. But, yeah, there's, like, parts of food production that... It's incredible. Yeah, in other places you just don't just, think about. We just take for granted, right? And, like, like, perfect example, rice, man. I would love to go do that. And, like, you could make 15 different rice episodes. It's probably one of the most consumed things in the world. You know, we can go to Asia. We can go to Minnesota and collect the wild rice. Like, there's so many. that Everyone eats rice. Make a show about rice. Uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with, we used to hang out in Mexico a bit together. And there was this town that had this grilled chicken we really liked, you know. And it was already just seemed like very unsanitary because they would use stumps and a machete. Oh, yeah. To cut the chicken <laughs> up, you know. Like, no one's washing that stump, you the know. The raw and then the cooked. And yeah. he goes, and we're like, man, that chicken's good. And we'd been down there a couple of times. Eventually, he wants to find out, like, how they make the chicken. And he goes in the back, and this guy's got a garbage can full of, the uh, like, a marinade. And he drinks out of it. The marinade? Yeah, well, so my buddy thought it was just like where he's making the marinade. So he takes a big spoon and has oh, no. the guys like urging him to taste the marinade. And, Sick uh, as a dog. Oh, yeah. Well, he's drinking the marinade, thinking it's just he's making the marinade. And he says the guy reaches in with a bare arm, starts hauling raw chickens out of the bottom of that garbage can. <laughs> marinated marinade, man. Oh, yeah. That yeah, guy. I was probably- like, but what's funny is like to see it. You know, you're talking about like the cockroaches coming yeah. out and stuff. Like to some, see it, he was a huge, he liked the chicken more than anybody. Oh, yeah. It's oh, like the, this Upton Sinclair, like the jungle stuff, you know, like people, this expression, like, let's not see all the sausage you just made. Sure. Burned them on the chicken. Oh, yeah. Well, that raw stuff. Because it it's better. Sometimes people don't want to know. Well, that cook, you know, he probably had an immune, he had a gut like a, like yeah. a snapping turtle, you know, like that guy. No, he's been doing that his whole life. No but yeah, you, but you think of chocolate, you know, it's like kind of like elegant. You know, people but get sophisticated it? about. Oh, no, then you go yeah. down. Like you said, like there's cockroaches and banana leaves. Yeah, and guys probably getting paid a hundred dollars a week. You know. Yeah. Like, no, it's interesting to see all that, man. Yeah, it's wild, man. The world's wild. Yeah, because you want to think it's like a bunch of French guys in a laboratory. Oh sure, Every, so much. Is, everything's everything's very romanticized, right? Marketing did a hell of a job, and and it's true. So I like being able to kind of just shine a little light, you know, off of you know. Five star chef guy, but then also just let's let's go all the way. Why not? And like the world needs it, man, because the systems in place ain't ain't really cutting it. How many it's alive's have you made? Oh man, a bunch do you call of them it's alive's? I don't really call them anything. <laughs> to tell you the truth, uh, episodes, video, yeah, it's got to be like eighty or ninety or hundred of them or something. I think. And then we have another show we I do with, with Bone Appetit called Taste Buds, which is a lot of fun. It's just more. It's more of just like a kind of like an internet show where it's like a, a me, uh, we have celebrities come on and we like try different types of like a, a type of food, right? Like one we did with, uh, uh, with just a bunch of different types of smoked fish or like stupid stuff, like different types of potato chips. Like high test celebrities, mid-level? No, we got, yeah, we got some big players, man. We had Kimmel on and uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Kiki Palmer was a lot of fun. And Elizabeth Olsen, like the girl with the twin? Uh, no, uh, so... 
I think there's there's three of them with the twins. There's three of them. A younger sister of the twins. Not even wrapped up in the twins. No, but she's she's like a huge star now. She's in a ton of movies these days. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, she's got Wanda and and what was that other one? uh, Mrs. uh, Mrs. um, The one show she just had out was like a big hit. Mrs. uh, Marvel's. Oh, well, she no. she was in Ms. Maisel, but she was in WandaVision. Wanda she's Division. in all the oh, WandaVision Wanda Marvel yeah. movies now, too, and everything. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Definitely more famous than me. <laughs> Part of the MCU. Yes, actually. All right. Good job, Kyle. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, we just did Wolfgang Puck. He was, oh, really? he, oh. he was amazing. He had no filter. It was like, he just said, I, I was just like, yep, this is great. Have you had Jack Pepin on? Who? Jacques Jack- Pepin? No, but I love him, man. Okay. You know, sat I'll next call him Jack Pepin. Makes it more approachable. He lives up by me, <laughs> and he's uh, good friends with a buddy of mine who owns a farm, uh, Stone Acres, over in Connecticut. His book's is good, man. Yeah, he's a legend, man. Such a sweetheart. We sat next. I sat next to him next to a dinner, and I was like, me and my wife were there, and I was like, you, you sit by Jock, because he's you, you guys are gonna love it. He's just such a little. He's a schmoozer, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, he's a good guy. And when you say schmoozer, you mean like in quotes? No, like, oh. um, <laughs> schmoozer's the wrong word, I guess. I mean, not really, but like, he's, uh, because you sent your wife over to sit by him. Yeah, he's an old guy, you know, he's a flirty old guy, you know, mm-hmm. and not in a creepy way. Okay, good, good, good. You know, very, uh, very charming. I'm sorry, Chuck. <laughs> very charming. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Very charming. Man. See, Steve's always trying to instigate. Something. No, 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 man. I just, you know, hope he doesn't, oh, hear, phone's I hope he doesn't hear this. I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> All right, so tell people how to find you, all the platforms, all the ways. Yeah, thanks, man. So, yeah, so uh, Instagram is kind of, it's the only really, it's the so, only social thing I do. It's just uh, Brad underscore Leone. That's your own thing. Yeah, yeah, that's me. And then, uh, you know, we have the It's a Live show and um, uh, going, uh, It's Alive and It's Live going places, which is like the, the, the sister of uh, that show where it's just more of the travel stuff. They kind of bleed into the same thing. How long will it be till, till uh, how, what's the turnaround time? Till the one we made about Whitefish. Oh, you know, they're pretty good about it. You know, like it's either a month or six months. Who knows? You know, it's just like, it'll probably... I, I don't want it to be like your kombucha thing that sits there for a year. Oh, no, this is a heavy hitter, man. Okay. We're proud of this one, Steve. Uh, okay. And, you know, and I felt really good about it. So did everyone uh, that was shooting it. And and thanks again for coming on, man. That was that was just... Hey, I've been a fan of your guys' work and show for a long time. It was just awesome to to work with you guys. And you got something in the fixings. Uh, you, got, you and Cal got something in the fixings, too. Or no, no we talk all the time. We talk about all types of stuff. Yeah. He's gonna hopefully come over, help me cut down some trees, some vines. I got some. I got these vines growing all over some cedar trees. I need to handle, and then we got to do some spear fishing out there and some fishing and yeah. a lot of cool stuff out by me, Steve. I got, Open door, boys. I got even you, uh, turkey guy. I got a good one for you. You know, <laughs> at the uh, it may have been in the preamble to the show. It may not even be on here, but you you said how. Um, you have a kind of perspective on food as far as like some safety things or what you can or cannot eat. Um, like you, you equated it to, you know, taking the right hand turn on a red light, <laughs> even if it says you shouldn't, like some things don't apply to you that, uh, um, cut up some sushi at my place last night and, uh, the board that we were laying all the sushi on. Right. I dug, stump. dug that out of the dumpster. Oh, that little dumpster dive. Oh, the same oh, yeah. dumpster you get all your stuff out of? Same dumpster I get all my stuff out of. <laughs> yeah, I haven't hit that in a while. Yeah, folks, folks don't know. The... People throw away all Guys, kinds of goods. Well, it might be catching on, though, and people might just go there and put, instead of bringing it to Goodwill, they just dump it Donate. in Cal's dumpster. 
No one can find it and put it to good yeah, use. My, my, Cal's dumpster diving. That's a show I would Sometimes I, I flip the lid and it's daunting. Like I shake my head and it's like all I wanted to do was just throw the trash away. Yeah. Now I got to get now this you stuff get out. Here. I got to repurpose your, it. Get your sewing needle out. Yeah. Fix it all. Find a home for it. Exactly. Phil, can you, you make a, can Phil make a jingle for Cal's dumpster diving? Like what what did Cal find? Today? Every time you every Oscar time you find grouch. something, yeah, yeah, that's good. It'll be the Cal's dumpster. No, you'll <laughs> come up with something better now. Yeah, that's like my dad. My dad loves to go dumpster diving. He finds all kinds oh, of like me ham radio. My dad lives in Northern Jersey. Oh, good for so, him. So, uh, <laughs> you know, those, yeah, there's some really special electronics I'm a big there. picker. Right? You know, not so much the dumpsters, although I'm not above it, but like a good pick, a good like uncurated egg antique kind of yeah, lot. Yeah, Oh, man. Stop buying new stuff unless you need to. A lot of good stuff out there. My old man would, um, he was into that stuff and had like a big pole barn. So you had somewhere, oh, yeah. you know, he had a place I to put it that all. shit. Uh, and he would go like in spring, springtime. He'd be like, "Oh, you know, spring cleaning, big time." And on garbage day, he would like honestly, like that time of year, would kind of like make little extra loops, take the long way home, Dude. knowing that someone was gonna throw away something good and to be out Wednesday night. And he'd get in there and. You know, you oh, find, I found another broken fishing rod. That you I'll find put it where I put all the broken fishing rods I found in the garbage. Absolute gems. Or mm. like if you know there's an old couple and like the old man, you know, his time comes, he you know, he, he they got him in the dirt. The old lady, a couple months, all that stuff <laughs> so gone, gone, right? Yeah. You could find some gems. And one last personal plug, if you don't mind. Oh Steve. no, please go. I on. got a really cool personal book that I, I I've been making, um, and it's going to be coming out this November. All the pre-sale, you know, pre-sale is out now, but it's oh, called, really? Yeah, it's called Field Notes for um, Food Adventure, and it's uh, Ooh. You know, yeah, I shot. It took a year. It was hard, but it was amazing, and it was just um, so. It was Brad Leone's yeah. Field Notes. Field notes for food adventure. For food adventure. Is that pre-sale at the publisher's website or Amazon? Yeah, all those. Okay. You, yeah, it's everywhere. Okay. And um, and it's yeah, it's out through you know from New Jersey to Maine, you know from uh, seaweed foraging and uh, shellfish foraging, and then recipes that go with it. We do some fermentation. We do ramping. Uh, there's a chapter called Dear Dad where we go you know making uh, venison sausage and stuff like that, and recipes that go with it. Uh, some good old saltwater fishing, maple, you know, maple syrup production. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so yeah. I went there and like shot all, kind of like the videos I kind of do, like in a book about it, you know. Like, and uh, it's got my family in it a little bit, and uh, you know that guy that I was fishing with, Vinny, he's in it, you know. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, I just did a lot of cool stuff throughout the Northeast. So uh, if you're into that, check it out. A lot Great. of really cool photos. Did you, come, did you come up with something good for that dumpster diving video yet, Phil? I see you looking and thinking. Well, yeah, I, well, he mentioned Oscar the Grouch. I'm trying to see if I can. I'm thinking about how I can. You're running on that. Yeah. So, so are there any Sesame Street songs I can sample? And that's yeah, how a creative man good. works down there. Well, I could say always turn. It. If you want to see how a creative man works, <laughs> yeah. down down that way. It's that easy. I got one more favorite favorite ask of Brad. Yeah. Oh. So I, I have this icebreaker that I've like endlessly annoyed people in my circle with. So I, I bring it up often. Oh, the Hugh, the Hugh Glass thing? Nope. Nope. Different. That was like, uh, that was like line? college era, Spencer. Oh. This is like recent. I, I still bug people with this question. I ask him what the U.S. state is that they think about the least. Oh. It's, it's never like your first answer because then like three answers later, you'd be like, oh, actually, it's this one. I never think about this one. It's a great question, man. I love it. I, I'd love to play it sometime with you guys. Anyway, the most common answer I get is Connecticut. Oh, I believe that. So why why should folks think of Connecticut? Do some PR work for them. Oh, I can answer you right now. I think it's a great topic because I've felt that way for the longest time. Connecticut, just a drive-through state. I almost don't want to give it up, all right? But like whatever. It's You don't it's, want to spot burn <laughs> Connecticut? 
Yeah, it's a gem. <laughs> like it's, you know, like it was always just like in the way a few, like another two hours till you got to a cool state like New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine. I mean, those are they're awesome. Everyone's going up there. Freaking vacation land, you know? And, um, but Connecticut, you, there's, it's just as beautiful. And where I'm at, it's like right at the, on the border of Rhode Island. And uh, it's right where the, it starts to become, you know, ocean. And it's just, I mean, really nice, active, small uh, uh, agriculture, a lot of farm, a lot of dairy, a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep, a lot of like cheese, there's a sea, you know, seaweed farmers and um, just a lot of really cool things happening out there. And, uh, and it's kind of like slept on a little bit, you know, it's, and it's not in the middle of nowhere. Like Mystic's a town there. Providence is, is super close. International airport's only like 35 minutes, but then I'm, you know, it's, but then I'm sitting in the middle of nowhere. 10 minutes from the ocean. What do you think, Spencer? Awesome. That's a good answer. You get titillated yeah. by that? Yeah, yeah. But it sucks. Yeah. Stay away. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brad Leone. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for coming on. What does what he get at as a fisherman? 6'5"? Oh, as a fisherman? Uh, I think it was 6'5". Brad Leone, a 6.5 uh, mountain white fisherman. <laughs> Marvelous Give it up. I'll take it. Give Thank it up you, for Brad. 6'5". Podcast guest, I'm giving him nine point five. All right, you guys, you guys, you guys score people. Just starting out, Chester. What do you give him? Podcast guest, you like to throw around these numbers, Chester? Um, guest. I'm not as probably good at rating podcasts, but I I would say nine six. (laughs) Holy cow! Gonna have to have me back, boys. Yeah, that's a phenomenal sport right, doing that now. Room, room for improvement <laughs> always I, always every category that's gonna be the name of my new show room for improvement <laughs> alright thanks guys thank you Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.